0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Metal Hummer podcast. It is episode 144, but more importantly than that, it is our big end of 2020 special. We're going to go through the year in metal. We're going to count down the 20 greatest albums of the year as picked by the esteemed contributors of Metal Hummer magazine that you can read about in our issue out right now. Uh, and then we've got some special end of year awards type things where we're going to pick a bunch of other albums and artists for certain categories that we've just made up because it's good fun and why not uh we've also got some questions from you guys about the biggest things that happened in metal this year we're gonna get through all of that uh but before all that i should introduce the wonderful cast of characters we have amassed to deal with this week's epic show i am mel from metal hammer hello everybody nice to meet you first of all i am joined by metal hammer deputy editor miss Eleanor goodman how are you doing el
1: I'm good, thanks. Yet to feel festive, so I'm hoping this will help. How are you? I am good.
0: Also not quite feeling the festiveness yet. It's kind of hard when you can't get out and about in it, isn't it, to 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 really uh, feel that vibe. But we'll do our best. We'll bring some festive cheer this week for sure. Uh, also joining us is the one and only, the gatekeeper of all things underground and mighty... Uh, Mr. Jonathan Seltzer, Metal Hammer Reviews Editor. How are you doing, Seltz?
2: I'm all right. I'm feeling appropriately nostalgic, so I'm drinking root beer, which kind of reminds me of, as a kid. I forgot uh, to I, ask you what that was. Yeah, it's root beer. Um, so I remember when McDonald's used to sell root beer when it when it first started up. That's that's kind of how old I am. But so I've, I get a massive nostalgia rush every time I drink root beer. That's so amazing. it feels it feels appropriate for 2020. Um, not there's much there's that much to be nostalgic for outside of music, but um, fair. I didn't think yeah, that, but, um, people yeah, drink a rush and nostalgia rush all in one. I didn't think that
0: people drunk root beer outside of like Enid Blyton novels or something. <laughs> or America. I love
2: yeah. it. Anything in the taste of medicine, including medicine, I love. Amazing. Uh, also joining
0: us this week is Metal Hammer reviewer, one of our finest scribes and presenter of many a podcast across the years, Mr. Stephen Hill. How are you doing, Steve? All right, mate. Just a boring
3: cup of tea for me, to be honest. can Can't match Jonathan's retro drinkage, unfortunately. (laughs) I'm good and I'm feeling very festive. Thanks for asking.
0: Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Let's bring the festivities. Uh, I'll tell you one way which our wonderful people listening to this podcast can feel more festive is if they go and pick up our epic end of year issue. If you're excited about all the stuff that we're talking about this week, there's even more of it in the issue of Met Hummer that's out right now. Uh, if you're able to do it during your shots for the week, depending on what's here in and all that business, I know everyone's in different situations at the moment. But Metal Hammer is available in stores across the UK right now. You can also get it from tinyurl.com/gethammer, uh, and it is a huge end of year bumper edition of the magazine, as well as the big 2020 Ultimate Review of the Year, starring a ton of great names such as oh god, they're all on here: Imperial, Triumphant, Judas Priest, Corey Taylor. Uh, system of a down metallica trivium code orange um we have a big tribute to riley gale written by the one and only ice T from body count and that's awesome and uh very emotional read we've got a great pussy for feature written by l that's in there as well loads and loads of good stuff it's also got the top 50 i said earlier we're running through the 20 albums of the year here you can read the full 50 albums of the year in that new issue of metal hammer and on top of all of that, it comes with a free heavy metal activity book featuring a ton of fun activities. Can't get that anywhere else in the world. Uh, it's got a best of 2020 CD and a 2021 calendar starring the likes of Lacuna Coil, uh, Nightwish, Parkway Drive, Merc here. A ton of awesome names. All that stuff only available in the new issue of Hammer that is out right now. As I said, it's tinyurl.com slash um, and if you want to know which stores near you are selling it, so you can plan your way to get it uh, out in the real world, then you can go to www.tinyurl.com/findhammer. Uh, thanks as always for your support, we appreciate it. Right, God, it is, it is a bit kind of 2020 nostalgia vibe today because also, if all of that isn't enough for you, and if you if you're disgusted or dismayed or angered by the uh, the 20 albums we're about to talk to in our best of 2020 picks later on, you can actually have a say as well because we're asking readers and users of Metal Hammer to vote for their favourite albums of 2020 for another big poll we'll be doing on the Metal Hammer website. So if you go over to metalhammer.com right now, you can actually vote for your favourite album of 2020 so that as well as the Metal Hammer Writers Albums of the Year, we'll get your albums of the year as well on the website. So go and do that right now. Uh, did anybody see Bill Bailey dancing to enter Sandman on Strictly Come Dancing this week?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And and your thoughts?
1: Well, my family are huge Strictly fans. I don't watch it, but my eight-year-old niece in particular is a huge fan and she doesn't even want to be a dancer in the show. She wants to be a judge when she grows up. So her standards are very, very high. Um, But even she was impressed by Bill Bailey and Enter Sandman. I found it quite weird at the beginning because I do not watch Strictly so I didn't realise that it was done with a live band although that does make sense and when it started I was like this doesn't sound quite like Enter Sandman, not sure what's going on and then kind of realised it wasn't the actual track. Um, I just think it's really cool that he's on the BBC on a show that's watched by millions and millions and millions of people doing a metal track and I think there was some stuff online wasn't there people were a bit like why isn't he doing you know some other metal track but at the end of the day enter sandman is the biggest one you can pick really and you've got to still be able to appeal to the mainstream if you're on a show like that so i thought it was brilliant i think is a brilliant human and comedian and representative for metal and i think i actually preferred though the tweet that was doing the viral rounds of when he performed it to his dance partner using the bit from his show where he squeaks the horns to enter Sandman. I think actually that and the joy that came from that was probably greater than the performance itself. But I just love Bill Bailey. Shout out to Bill Bailey. Yeah,
0: he is absolutely amazing. Absolutely love him. Uh, metal is getting uh, media coverage in strange ways this week. We've Bill Bailey doing Enter Sandman. We've had David Hasselhoff. He's done a metal song. So David Hasselhoff is metal now. Sure. Uh, I expect they'll love that in Germany. Uh, It's all gone bonkers. Um, In very cool news that only broke uh, a matter of hours ago, Meshuggah have announced a huge European tour for late next year. Uh, They're going to be supported across Europe by Zealand Arda. That's going to be an unbelievable gig. And on top of that, Meshuggah have announced a separate extra bumper date uh, in June 2022, where they're going to be playing the Royal Albert Hall. Jonathan Seltzer, Meshuggah at the Royal Albert Hall. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, Meshuggah are actually my favourite all-time live band, and um, I go absolutely fucking nuts when um when they play, like, literally. Um, like, they're, on, they're the best band in the world to mush to, and, um but, so I had to figure out why, like, the last time I saw them from the floor, and that's the only place you should see them, like, why, why are my arms aching and my neck hurts after one or two songs? And I kinda of realised what it is, is that like their music is built for bodies that have more joints than the human body has. So it's so you you find yourself having to kind of work overtime, like to kind of keep keep to the beat. And um so yeah, it's exhausting, but it's worth it. Just um I literally lose my shit. So um like normally if i if I go to get the apple hall, it's kinda of nice to see him from on one of the box seats or or somewhere like that. But no, I'm going down the floor, I'm gonna like cause some some serious damage. That, I have access. that is prime jonathan seltzer my favorite <laughs> most fun band
3: to go and see a meshuggah like we probably pick like andrew wk or motley crew or something like that, or kiss or something and jonathan's like no you have the most fun at meshuggah like it,
2: it's it's genuine euphoria like, like i said i live for the moment especially at gigs Where i don't know why i am anymore and no and you know there, there are certain bands that do that and but no one does it quite like meshuggah
0: yeah, I can actually vouch. I've seen Jonathan at a Meshuggah gig, and I can vouch. It's I, I've never seen him move like that to anything else. I've seen him move in many uh, different ways. There, in many
2: the, 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 um, the DVD that came out, the live DVD, shot of Brickson Academy, there's one and a half seconds of me pushing someone out of the way. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> that is brilliant. Get out of the fucking way, I'm I'm washing.
0: Don't get in this man's way when he's washing <laughs> to Meshuggah. Uh, yeah, that's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing... Uh, set of dates. Zilanada's supporting as well. What a gig. Yeah, I love that that um, and yeah, obviously the Royal Albert Hall show is going to be very, very special indeed. Uh, we had some sad news breaking this week as well. Cynic bassist, uh, bassist excuse me, Sean Malone has died at age 50. Um, Malone joined Cynic ahead of their release of their 1993 album uh, Focus, their debut album. Uh, He rejoined the group when they formed in 2008 and was drumming for them since. Uh, He also worked as a session bassist, released a solo album and authored four books. Um, Yeah, very sad news This because obviously it follows the news we had earlier in the year of Cynic drummer uh, Sean Reiner dying in January. Uh, Cynic frontman Paul Azardal uh, released a statement on Instagram saying he is numb and grief stricken. So very sad news and awful news for Cynic fans. Um, Steve, I think you had some words about Sean Reiner earlier in the year. Um so anything you want to add about, about Sean Malone passing away?
3: It's one of one of the great um rhythm sections in sort of forward thinking extreme music is gone. I mean, I think I said it when Sean passed away, how you know they were they were banned when I was growing up. I did I didn't really hear because they they'd split or they were just quite a difficult band to get hold of when I first was getting into metal. And so it wasn't until probably the mid noughties by which time I'd heard you know all of these progressive tech-minded death metal-inspired bands that come in their aftermath. I actually heard Cynic, and it's one of those times where you hear a band and suddenly, and you realise that they've predated all of this stuff that you love, and that they're probably better at doing it than you know ninety-nine percent of those bands. Fucking astonishing, <laughs> astonishing band, and. Just, yeah, really, really sad to see, like, such an amazing rhythm section now no longer with us.
2: Yeah, um, so I remember, like, you know, when I was kind of first starting into de- death metal and all these bands are going prog, and I was a bit too young at the time to really get them, but I went, kind of went back. But actually, Phoenix Return was... Uh, I actually prefer to... Um, to uh, to focus uh like, like traced in air and mm. not only that like, like so one of the first bands i ever really got into when i was a kid and it's basically my alpha and my mega, was a band in japan and i was obsessed with their bass player mick khan because he played fretless bass in the same way that sean malone did mm. and it's such a skill to be able to do that and um and you know even so they had complete so i love fretless bass and even so even though they had completely different bass styles and it was amazing like how like Sean Malone's bass was like you said was tied to the groove like it didn't it wasn't showy but it just had to be in all the different places at once like teleporting around at all the different places at once it needed to be so we just talked about Meshuggah about how you know basically all jet bands were and I said this before was missing the point of Meshuggah but you see where these bands have gone now like say Tesseract or all those bands like that you can hear so much of what Cynic became in those bands. Like they are now like they were like the godfathers of what sort of gentle tech metal has become, that kind of really sort of rarefied, you know, rhythm sections teleporting all over the place, almost like kind of strange, almost like pointillist kind of groove. And um and he was so well like Sean Malone's uh, bass poem was so welded to that. And it kind of played right in time with the drums, and so when you, when you lose a rhythm section, again, again it's just like the, like both him and um, Sean Ryan. It was so locked in sync, and so on a different kind of in a different in a parallel dimension, in about hundred different parallel dimensions. And it's 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 a great loss. And yeah, I, I saw Cynic when they came back, and um, they're incredible. Uh, I met Paul Masvidal; is an incredible guy, super chilled, and I I I really feel for him. Um, yeah, it's a real, real
0: it's a real, real shame. It's a real shame. Um and you, you can uh you can obviously read more about Cynic and about uh Sean's career over on the Home website right now, and of course we extend our thoughts to to um you know his friends and family and uh um yeah, just just an absolute shitter. And of course, much love and thoughts to Paul as well, because that that's uh we'll have to wait to see where what he decides to do from here. Um We have a huge undertaking now and uh, one that I am very excited about because it's one of my favourite things to go through this year. Uh, It's also one of the things that always creates a lot of debate online. Um, And uh, yeah, it's always a nice way to look through the many ways in which metal has delighted and astounded us and in some ways shocked us this year. So we're going to go through the top 20 albums of 2020. This is taken from the list that is in Mount Hummer magazine right now. As I mentioned earlier, you can read the full top 50 that is in there. Um, and we're just going to take the top 20 of it because you know we don't want to give you everything for free. You will go check it out in the magazine as well. Uh, but we've got some big heavyweights to go through in this uh in this list here from uh, from the year that's just been. I should say as well, because I know a lot of people aren't quite sure how the whole system works of how we get this get these albums together and get this list together uh mr jonathan seltzer our reviews editor uh collates a list of 20 albums from every writer that is in the ranks of metal hammer um it's done on a point system your 20th uh pick at number 20 that gets just one point and obviously your favorite album of the year that gets 20 points all these things get added together and that is what makes our big old list. So it's a simple democratic process. The album that came out at the top of the list is the one that got the most points from our system. Um, and that's it, really. I think maybe some people didn't realise that, judging by some of the comments I've seen online. But that is how it works. It's democracy. Um, firstly, the list bangs. And secondly, I mean, that's just how democracy works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no jiggery pokery. I won't allow it. No, no, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Um, but uh, so, yeah, that's how the list got together. Um, as I said, if you want your own say, you can go and vote for your favorite album of the year at metalhammer.com right now. These are what the writers of the year, the writers of the year. These are what the writers of Metal Hammer voted for. And we to start at number 20 uh, with Marilyn Manson. We Are Chaos. Uh, now, we knew this album would obviously end up probably ranking quite high in the list. Um, and given the big feature that we ran on Manson a couple of issues ago to do with uh, his history, his past relationships, his place in the world of me too and everything else that we've gone into some depth on online. Um, we knew that there'd be a bit of a shadow and a bit of a weird thing kind of cast over this album in in kind of respect of that. But um, ultimately we thought that it's important to still talk about the music as well and the way in which uh, that album kind of had its own impact. Um, and I think on its own merit at least it's hard to argue against we are chaos being one of the best albums he's done in a long long time it was a bluesy emotional introspective album um it felt like a real soul-bearing album which was especially interesting when you look at kind of the way the uh, the interview we tried to do ultimately went um and yeah it feels like manson musically at least has certainly found found the groove which which is working out quite well for him what did you make of this album steve i don't know if we talked about it with you or not on here
3: yeah, I think we I think I might have missed it when it came out. Yeah. Um yeah, I think it's the best thing he's done since Hollywood. Definitely. Um I, that that kind of that trilogy of albums, like most people who grew up listening to Metal in the nineties, you know, I absolutely love those three records and I have been mostly disappointed, I would say, with Marilyn Manson's output in the intervening years since that. I mean I think even the supposed returns to form in the pale emperor and whatever the last one was called I can't remember what it's called now have were, were pretty shonky to be honest so I didn't really hold out a lot of hope that this was going to be great but there's there's a thing that happens to artists when they get to a certain age and I think it's really important that they learn to to kind of sound their age i mean there are some bands that that can carry on doing the same thing forever and ever and ever. And it just, because Motorhead are cool, they could do that because AC/DC are cool. They can do that. I think it's very, very rare to find those artists. And when you look at the, I mean, kind of weird comparisons with Marilyn Manson, but when you look at the sort of stuff that Johnny Cash was doing later on in his career, the sort of stuff that Robert, um, yeah, Robert Plant has been doing over the last decade, the sort of stuff that Mark Lanigan does now, the kind of stuff that, I mean, even the last Bob Dylan album, which was a, that came out this year is a massive surprise. Great, great record. I love it when, these artists don't try and strive to sound as young and cutting edge as they did. And I feel like Marilyn Manson has been running on that treadmill to keep up with sounding relevant to what is going on in heavy music for so long. We Are Chaos sounds like a record that isn't trying to do that. And it feels very accepting of who he is and where he sits now. And he's got the voice and the timbre and the sort of tonality in his voice to be able to sing these kind of melancholic, cracked, dark bluesy country songs and make them sound fucking awesome um so i mean this is one of the biggest surprises of the year for me a re- a genuinely great marilyn manson record for the first time in like de- for decades for me
0: yeah that's interesting i mean i think uh a lot of us certainly Ellen and i have, have liked a lot of stuff he's done recently but it definitely felt like the kind of journey he's been on his kind of relationship with shooter jennings and the way that working relationship has worked and just the kind of uh the evolution of his music over the past few albums has has reached uh, a perfect uh a kind of perfect pinnacle on this record um so yeah it's not not a to see it in the list marilyn manson we are chaos is at number 20 uh, obviously there's a lot of other stuff to talk about with marilyn manson nowadays but uh that's something that we've uh we've gone into length and you can read about over on the, on the website right now uh in at number nineteen uh it's an older record flowers of evil and this kind of continues their fascinating evolution um from underground heavyweights into this kind of polished dark 80s synth band almost like a, a 80s synth pop band an amazing evolution that's worked out really well for them and has obviously struck a chord
2: once again with our writers um what did you think of this album jonathan it's not, uh, well, I, I mean, I love all that. And I think they're an absolutely unique band. You know, it started off as one of the original Norwegian black metal bands. You know, uh, Bergtat is a, is a classic of, like, second wave black metal. And they're unique in the way they've completely transformed and still carried everyone on board. Because um, it's just so obvious that what he's doing is coming from a really real place. And they've been through so, you know, they've been through so many different shifts. They've kind of been through sort of avant-garde um, soundtrack, uh music they've been um you know they did an album of 60s covers and then from the last previous album uh the assassination of julius caesar they suddenly went to this kind of dark 80s pop and it's so perfectly done um now i don't think i don't think the new one is quite as good as um i don't think clouds of evil is quite as good as um uh uh, Julius caesar because it it feels a bit more world real feels feels a bit more world weary and so it kind of grew on me much slower than um than than caesar which is like everyone kind of felt it was really immediate but yeah you know i mean i'm an 80s kid so it reminds me a little bit of a lot of stuff that i grew up on um so and so what it's got that like a lot of 80s bands did is this weird sort of um combination of like you've got this shiny new technology but you've still got this kind of hangover that everyone kind of had in the 80s so you know a lot of 80s pop it kind of came from the you know it kind of came from the industrial scene like human league and that was all and that was all kind of pretty apocalyptic and then they kind of became like these, these shiny new sort of pop acts and then after that they started going a bit darker again so if, it, if you're going to compare it to human league this isn't like dare this is the kind of stuff they did after dare where it's not like super shiny but it's kind of like haunted again, and um, so it reminds, you know, obviously you can hear bits of Depeche Mode, that's what everyone's talking about, but there's, but there's lots of bits of um, uh, like talk talk in there as well, um, just those kind of absolutely lush textures, and it's got, the, it's got Christopher Riggs' own unique perspective on it as well too, the way it, it feels like, especially with the lyrics, it feels like it's jumping around history and it's this real kind of elegy for something about human nature that kind of is all across history. And um, so it's a really immersive record. It's just not as immediate as Julius Caesar. So it, it just it just didn't quite make my top twenty. But um, I absolutely love this band, and I really like this record.
0: Very well put, indeed. Sorry, I have myself on mute there, so I had to scupper to find the unmute button. Uh, so yeah, that's over with Flowers of Evil in at number nineteen, in at eighteen. Now this is the only album. This isn't. This is not only the one album that I hadn't actually listened to um, before this top 20 came together uh, in the magazine. It was also an album that completely gone under my radar, like the useless poser I am. Um, Ulcerate, Stare Into Death and Be Still. Uh, this came out on the Benmure Morty Productions. Um, uh, and they're a, a te- kind of a tech, de-tal, tech death metal band from New Zealand. I yeah. don't know very much about these guys, Jonathan. Please clue me in.
2: So they're not tech death metal in any way that you would assume tech death metal sounds like. Um, they're more in the sort of occult vein as far as dynamics goes. Like you know more of your kind of um, death spell Amiga or your um, or like um, grey miasma. But they don't kind of. But the reason people call them death, death, uh, tech death, they don't have musty atmosphere steep sound. It's kind of a really sh- sharp sound. But that just puts these weird dimensions it goes into, into really sharper relief. So it just doesn't have any of the hooks you expect from a death metal record. It's just it's just a resonance that they kind of explore. Mm-hmm. And so it just feels like you're going through this wonky dimension and you're down this kind of portal, and it's kind of shifting around as you go along. And because it, it, it's not meted out by groove or anything like that, it has kind of weird tension through a you're anticipating something but you're not getting um
0: you broke up up a bit there do you want to just just say that again what you just said that last sentence
2: yeah so um so it feels like you're kind of going through these weird dimensions and so there's a kind of sense of anticipation uh or or like or like trepidation um uh but it it, and it just kind of seeps into you as, as you go along So it doesn't have all the typical meters they expect from a death metal record it's just a ongoing it's like it's like a tour this weird sensation you, you're going and it's really tense and it's it's atmospheric without being kind of old school sounding mm. it's just atmospheric in what it actually does not in in, in the sense of production and i think it, um i hadn't played it for a while or i played it again just in anticipation of this and my god it's it's great it's well deserves being in the top 20.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, well, there's another um, kind of death metal album that that made huge waves this year that got even higher than this. So it's been a good year for death metal in the in the upper echelons of the metal hammer and the yeah. year list. Yeah, there, there's there's and
2: all, it's all weird death metal that's in our top twenty.
0: It is, and that's a good point because uh, Jonathan himself did actually write an excellent piece about the ways in which the underground have morphed into very strange and nebulous new forms in 2020. It's a it's a common thing that we're seeing. Running through a lot of the underground, um, and you can read that in the latest issue of Metal Hammer as well. It's a really good feature. Um, Imperial Triumphant, who may appear later in this list, or a big, big part of that feature. Um, in it, no, yeah, so That was Ulcerate. Sorry, if you if you wanted to hear that again. Ulcerate, stare into death and be still, as uh, number eighteen. In at number seventeen, a hallmark of the Metal Hammer world, and an album that maybe wasn't quite. I won't go as far as to say was divisive, but definitely seemed to draw a few differing opinions from many people across metal hammer uh Lama god self-titled album uh first proper album of all new material for a few years um joe daly gave it a huge and upstanding review uh a few months back when it came out he absolutely loved it and um, steve and i weren't quite so sure on it we said it was maybe one of the more disappointing albums of the year or things put in context um mm-hmm. Elle, you definitely dug this one, didn't you? What do you think about the Lamb of God record in hindsight?
1: Yeah, I like it, but I think I definitely know what you mean. I think if you're waiting a really long time for a Lamb of God record, we had a Burn the Priest album, which is their old name, in between. But it, yeah, it'd been a long time for a new material. And I think people were expecting some kind of innovation or Evolution. And then there was some surprise when Chris Adler left and Art Cruz was recruited. So people were feeling a bit wobbly about that, I think, and wondering what was going to happen. And what seemed to happen was a really solid album from them. We spoke a bit on previous podcasts about the fact that they'd done a self titled record and how that's quite strange because that's usually kind of your definitive statement as a band. And this didn't really feel like their definitive statement as a band. But it felt like a really good encapsulation of what Lamb of God do. We did a cover story before lockdown hit, and it was we went um to uh Randy's hometown, didn't we? Uh yeah. Richmond. Went to Richmond and we sat with Randy and talked <laughs> through, if not the evolution of the music, some of the evolution of their political beliefs over the years and how that fit into everything. And what they managed to do on this record was just do a really, really solid Lamb of God performance and kind of bring in some of those belief systems they've talked about over the years. You can kind of trace the thread through where a Lamb of God have come from and where they are today. And I think if you do listen to this record straight That's through, true. I could see why you might not be super enthusiastic, but I think the more you listen to it, the more you appreciate what a band they are and what they have done for metal and how good they can really be because of the pandemic. They haven't been able to tour, but they did do a couple of live streams and that was really interesting to see the dynamic between them as a band. I think you could tell they really miss playing live because that's where Randy really comes to life. And again, if you talk to him, like you said, in our cover feature, he doesn't really like recording albums in the studio because he likes to have that live feel. And so he actually has to kind of pretend he's doing it live. So, um, it was cool to see that at the beginning of the streaming era. And I think this record will really shine when they can take it out for real. If you look at singles like Memento Mori, big song, Checkmate, like, again, even on a live stream, they sound really massive. So I think it's a little bit unfair to be down on this. Um, but maybe people were down because their expectations were so high. But I think if you really just take it as a great Lamb of God record, it is a great Lamb of God record. It's what they do and it's what they're good at. And hopefully they'll tour it at some point and Randy will be in his natural habitat and it will just be great.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe an album of, of great Lamb of God moments um, than rather than a truly great Lamb of God album for me. But I mean, it, you know, it made our, it made, you know, got into our top 20 of the year. So obviously a lot of Mitt Hammond's writers uh, were very, very fond of it. Jonathan, you wanted to say something about this one.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, to be honest, I was disappointed, and I like I, I really like Lamb and God, and I really like Randy Blythe. I think he's really one of the most genuine people in our world. I'm not a big fan of groove metal. For me, groove metal is kind of the sound of white male entitlement, and um, th- they made it completely something else entirely. That was the that was the uh, the
0: demo name for the album, I think, from Lamb God. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, but it's it's just it's just this kind of like macho brutish thing that um, I never really got into and um but but he made it like a genuinely um you know sign of like outrageous stuff uh, about stuff that's other than him, and so he's such like a self questioning individual, and so I think that's why people were expecting a little bit more from this album, like 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 some some kind of reaction against stuff they've done before whatever and i i just I didn't really feel like i got anything off this, but I hadn't gotten off any other Lamb of god record.
1: We didn't
2: even uh, talk about the guest so though, Jonathan. This is, this is a little bit too much familiarity for me. It just deadened the impact of it. Um,
3: I was going to say, I mean, I sort of, I kind of agree with both Eleanor and Jonathan at the same time, but I think Lamb of God at this point are almost victims of their own success and victims of how good their recorded, previous recorded material is. This album, for me, feels like the point that I'm not sure we're ever going to get a Lamb of God album that hits you in the same way as, mm-hmm. as Alice's Burn or Wrath or Sacrament did. Um, but then he, the opposite of what I was saying with Marilyn Manson, it's very difficult when you're that good at doing the thing that Lamb of God do to do it for 20 plus years and to find new ways. And to be fair to Lamb of God, they've spent a really, really, really long time, a huge proportion of their career finding new ways i mean you know if you go back to strum and drang the last album that had uh clean vocals and stuff on it that you would never heard before and little bits that and you know there's bits on the uh, on revolution which I, again i think is a perfect record but it's got things that you like like king me where you're like well i've never really heard them do this before this record just felt like the first time where i was like i've heard all of these tricks done before i don't think it's a bad record I think it's very hard for them to do a record like that and it to recapture the same level of like what the fuck when you heard lamb of god for the very very first time so it's definitely not a bad record definitely not if it was their debut you'd go shit, what a good band but i i can't find myself getting too excited about it and i'm not sure i'm going to go back and listen to many of those songs again to be honest
0: fair fair i think memento mori will definitely be in my uh god mega mix for a time to come but um yeah i think those are all fair points uh in at number 16 on the metal hammer albums of the year list bury tomorrow with cannibal um it feels weird to say this because we've championed this band so hard at metal hammer across the years in the magazine on the podcasts, everywhere else um but they still seem to have never been because what they do is so uh kind of simple and effective and they've rarely strayed from their sonic template They've never really been held up as kind of like saviors of the scene or you know leaders of the scene or anything like that. And yet they kind of just got on and slogged and got on with what they do. And they've ended up becoming one of the biggest British metal bands of their generation. Um and uh, you know, when I heard this album, I thought it was really good. I thought, you know, it's very tomorrow, doing what they do best. Big catchy songs, big choruses, heavy riffs, good stuff. Um, I wasn't sure that it would, I don't I think maybe it might have just. Just got into my arms of the year list quite near the end for my personal 20. Um, but uh, it's done really well here, just outside the top 15. So, there's obviously a lot of people again in Metal Hammer's ranks that love this record. Uh, what did you think of it? Elle?
1: I think a little bit like Lammer God, it saw Berry Tomorrow just doing what they do best, and I think. Even if there was kind of no insane innovation on this, they made a really solid metalcore album and they've never made any secret about the fact they love metalcore and they want to be a metalcore band. And we've asked them lots of times, are you going to do something surprising with your sound? Or, uh, you know, are you going to evolve in some way? And they're like, Yeah, you know, but within the realms of this metalcore world, because that's what they love. And I think what really showed on this record <laughs> is how comfortable they are in their own skin now. They are, they've released how many albums now? I actually haven't done the maths, but
0: five or six, something like that.
1: They're at that point in their career where they're comfortable in what they do and comfortable in what they want. And I think that was proved by the fact that Danny Winterbates, the singer, this year took on a really active role with regards to mental health, which he's done before in the past. But he really ramped it up with this record um, on the lyrics of the album, on social media, even in his other job as an employee of the NHS. He was massively outspoken. And I think this record was just them being confident and being unashamed in being buried tomorrow. Whereas before they might've had a bit of a chip on their shoulder about being the underdogs or be kind of, you know, trying to prove a point or push through. It kind of felt like with this record, they're just like, yeah, we're buried tomorrow and here's Cannibal and this is what we're doing. I think it just feels to me like they're more self-assured now. And I've gone back and revisited this record months after its release and really enjoyed it. So I think the songs really stand up on their own as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with all of that. In uh, at number 15, I love this record. This is in my top 20, definitely. Um, Testament, Titans of Creation, one of the greatest thrash bands of all time. Um, it's a funny old thing because we've just kind of talked about two very, very good metal bands, Lamb of God and Bury Tomorrow, that have kind that kind of just are in a groove of just doing what they do. And when you hear what they do and they put an album, it makes you go, yes, this band are good. I like this. This is this is what they do. They do it better than most, and I'm into it. Testament do that, and they've been settled into their particular groove now for 12 years since Formation of Damnation came out. But every time I hear a Testament album, I'm just like, oh, fuck, yes, Testament, come on. I don't know what it is about this band. It's something to do with the production. Um, they make the song sound so huge and modern, even though it's such a classic old-school thrash template. Um, they sound urgent. They sound fresh to me. And they just sound huge. And I thought this album was another absolute cracker. Um, And as I mentioned before, just loved it all the more because, uh, is it Night of the Witch or Season of the Witch? I can't remember what that song's called. there's a song in it about the horror movie, The Witch, which just um, automatically, Night of the Witch, which just automatically adds on a rating number for me. So yeah, big up Testament, day rule. Um, Number 14 is a young band, which is always good to see. Paul Bearer, Forgotten Days. Probably the most uh, hyped um, band in the doom metal scene uh, in the modern era. Uh, Steve, we talked about this record and how it was kind of a bit of a different vibe from what they had given us previously.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to, I'm, I'm delighted to see Paul Bearer in the list. I do feel that if the album had been right, and I, I This album has been extraordinarily well-reviewed by most people. So I definitely feel like, and it's hit number 14 on our list as well, so I do feel like I'm somewhat in the minority. But I have to say, this is probably the most disappointing album of the year for me because I had such high hopes for it. There's stuff like, I don't know, the Aussie album, which I was quite surprised that it was good because I was thinking, well, is Aussie going to release a good album in 2020? Probably not. But Paul Bear, I mean, Heartless, their last record, I thought was... And is just so so brilliant that I don't know. I I, I feel like I'm absolutely in the minority when I, I I genuinely expected a proper album of the year contender from Paul Bearer because they've been on this relentless march. I mean, I remember seeing them at Bloodstock on the Sophie stage in 2018, and they were incredible, absolutely incredible. But this album still i mean it's probably i don't think i've tried harder with another record more than i have this because i desperately wanted to like it but i'm i mean the more the years gone on the more i'm just like confused by it again a bit like lamb of god i don't think this is a bad record i just had baroness levels of expectation for it and it didn't really do it
0: That, that is a high bar right there fair enough uh, but yeah, it obviously, once again, resonated very, very well with our writers. It got in at number 14, did Paul Bearer. In at 13, um, I think the one one of the biggest stories from the underground this year, I think. Like, everybody I know who has a stake in death metal and the more extreme end of the spectrum had something to say about this album this year. Cryptic Shift, visitations from
2: Enceladus.
0: Have I said that right, Jonathan?
2: Um, I have no idea. I've never visited. Place. No, it's... well, mentally now many times. <laughs>
0: well, it's the cryptic shift album, anyway. Tell me about this record, because everyone's been raving about
2: it. All yeah, it's the debut album, and for the debut album, they um, what the first song was what thirty-five minutes long, which is pretty audacious. So I remember the first time I heard this, and I was like, "Fucking hell, this is amazing! um This is just like a band doing something completely well. Let's say not completely unique, because it, it you can tell it has its um roots in a lot of kind of weird shit that Death Metal has got up to over the past, like, 20, 30 years. Um, But it just totally... I mean, it's as as crazy as... um, Almost as crazy as, like, Imperial Triumphant. But it's just the self-command they have over what they're doing. It's it's this very sort of wonky, shifting all over the place, misdirection, like, riffs-like misdirection album. Uh, Although they do do some some short songs later on, which are kind of more in the Death Metal mould. But... um, So I kind of... um, uh, they're in my weird metal piece. And um, and I was, I was saying that, you know, a lot of this stuff, it made a lot more sense now because of the weird year that we had, but it also had its very deep roots. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a there's an age-old link between death metal and sci-fi bands like Nocturnus that came out on Earache ages ago. Certainly there's a lot of Voivod in there, like more, you know, thrash bands, but this kind of like weird sci-fi where like the normal, laws of physics don't really uh really apply. And um and so it's one of my favorite books, someone said, well I don't uh someone said about it, I don't necessarily feel I understand it, but it understands itself. And that that's a great uh be a great quote for um from Enceladus. let's call it that. Um, but it's just yeah it's just it's kind of in the sense of delirium when you're listening to it and this constant hyper alertness and yeah they've just got some amazing vision and it's great seeing like another british band really being out there so yeah so it's one of those records that the first time anyone heard it's like and it's happened once or twice every year there's one record where i'm going oh my god have you heard this and funny enough the year before that it was blood incantation which is also like another crazy sci-fi obsessed um Lose All Your Bearings, Death Metal record. And uh, and just this 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 kind of took it to another n- level. And yeah, just one of those records, the minute you hear it, you think, oh my God, this is fucking incredible. And you have to tell everyone else about it. And they're like, yeah, I heard it. I, I feel the same way.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. One of the absolute standout stories from the underground this year. Definitely check out that Cryptic Shift album if you haven't in at number 13. Uh, 12, one of the big bright hopes for British metal loathe i let it in and it took everything um i feel like this has kind of become one of the most widely celebrated releases by a young bands this year l uh what are you saying about this load album it came out kind of near the start of the year i feel because we- i remember we were still in an office
1: <laughs> yeah totally different times uh well this was the year that loathe really stepped up i think i saw them last year at radar festival and they did a really super dramatic show with all these red lights and weird visualizations on screens and you know kind of in that tech metal slash progressive vein but with this record they did something a little bit different and they kind of added more ambient sound and melodic guitars and um kind of different textures and it was really interesting that they sort of layered that over the top and they're clearly inspired by deftones the standout song was the single two-way mirror which chino Marino even gave them a shout out for on social media and that got a lot of people talking and i think it attracted a lot of new fans um They were due to play a socially distanced gig in London, weren't they, like last month, but it was cancelled because of the pandemic. But again, they're one of those bands, I think, that it's just a real shame we won't get to see this year because I think that material will really come to life for them on stage, given what I've seen from them before. Uh, They're from Liverpool and it just feels like we should be really getting behind them as a great British metal band because it's harder and harder to be a metal band now and especially in the uk and you know we should be getting behind these guys because um they've got a lot of talent
0: definitely very well put go on steven
3: i was gonna say i saw them in london the week the album came out so i have seen some of these songs live and can confirm they sound incredible and their jump from their first album to this has just been uh, outrageous and I love the fact that well there's another band obviously who take a lot of different elements outside of metal and bring them together, Those are the closest to being able to do that all
1: the kind of electric stuff, the electronic stuff and
3: yeah, really cool, they obviously listen to lots of different music and that's wicked I think.
1: I think they're really hungry as well, which you can really tell so I'm just hoping that they carry on on this trajectory and um, start getting out and kind of doing, playing more and hopefully new music again soon at some point.
0: Fuck yes. Big upload. Definitely an exciting prospect. Uh, And just to show just how kind of diverse a lot of this uh, list is, we go from upcoming exciting young British metalers to one of the most iconic, legendary veteran British metal bands in the scene. In at number 11 is Paradise Lost with Obsidian. Talk to me about the, I think the 16th Paradise Lost studio album, Jonathan? Maybe. They're on a roll.
2: Yeah, well they have been um, for the last, at least sort of five years, maybe Maybe more. Um, actually, like, so there's a lot of bands of their generation have gone through the same kind of sort of path, like with um, My Dying Bride and Napalm Death as well, too, where, you know, they, they have their sort of classic era. Then they go off and try and do something different. Um, some people might think it works. Some people think it doesn't. Then they kind of come back to their kind of original sound. And then, but with this extra kind of level of gravitas to them. And, you um, and and yet so each record they do kind of emphasizes it's different it's still them very much them but kind of emphasizes a different aspect of them um and i think especially since um since um you know bloodbath since since he started singing in bloodbath uh and he brought his kind of death growl back chris holmes uh nick holmes sorry um it's kind of brought new life into the band and so obsidian i mean medusa was a great record as well and so was Plague within but Obsidian and it kind of really emphasized the goth element in them in a way that they hadn't really done before. And, you know, as someone who kind of you know and those kind of tones to some of the those kind of gothic tones to some of the tracks, they really are what it sounded like back in the eighties. And they're kind of mixed in with their um with their own unique sound. And um it's just it's a great Paradise Lost record. With um, with yeah, you know, it seems to be quite, so many extreme metal bands have kind of brought out their goth side. I might talk about that later on. Actually, um, it seems to be the exactly the right time to do it, and um, they just do it absolutely perfectly uh, with with the depth of sound, um, and for bands who you always wondered about, are they really? You know, sometimes when you saw them live, they felt a bit uncommitted. But on record you can tell that they were like totally committed and um it's it's just a great record
0: fuck yeah big ups paradise lost um i'd said earlier we've got a big feature in uh, this issue of melt hammer where we talk about the ways in uh, which the underground have evolved into some of the strangest and most unpredictable shapes and music styles and and everything else that we could have possibly envisioned and unquestionably the breakout band from this year that personify that most perfectly our imperial triumphant uh we talked about this album at length on the podcast a few weeks back but um yeah alpha bill alpha bill sorry getting at, num- at number 10 on the metal home albums of the year list for a band that has been around the scene for a little while but was kind of far more off the radar in years gone by the fact that they're now this high on this list shows you what an impact they've made um anything else to say on this album jonathan that we didn't kind of cover it in our review before
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, so some really avant-garde records, for me personally, they get you in one of two ways. It's absolutely immediate, like, for instance, the most out there um, mayhem record, Order Ad K.O., which is really Stygian sounding, but I knew within, like, five seconds that was my album of the year. Um, other other things, other bands like them and Voivod, and there's a Voivod cover on the, on the as it bonus track on the album, which is very telling, it's um, it's not immediate, but you just have to like blink until it kind of all makes sense. It really helps you know, the context of what they're doing. And once you get that, then the whole thing kind of falls into place. So, you know, I'm obsessed with New York as a kind of a cult, you know, they're from New York City. I'm obsessed with New York as a kind of a cultural state of mind. And uh, it's my favorite books about New York, like New York Trilogy. um, You know, the Alphaville movie that, that the title is based on is a French movie set in Paris, but it clearly takes its cue from you know, how much New York um, lives in our imagination as well as it's a physical state. So this was really a melding of like how New York City li- lives on st- lives in ourselves as, a, as, an, as an imaginative place. There's, um, there's a great comic book, uh, but I can't remember the name of it now, but the, the artists were called Muniz and Sampaio, all set in New York, and they'd never even visited it. There were these two Argentinian graphic writers, and they never visited New York, but they just wrote these stories in New York based on what New York meant to them in their imaginations. So it's, it's this mixture of this kind of really imaginative take on New York, mixing with a really sort of weirdly social realist takes. So it talks about you know you know it, it kind of conveys the um, you know you know the uh, the grandeur of it, but also the grime of it, and it just melts it all into one into this one sort of unique whole. Um, and and you know the other bands doing something similar, mixing jazz with with death metal or black metal, but like like they always said, you know, it's done so organically with such a unique vision that binds it all together, that um, it's like with Voivod, it's like you just have to shift your consciousness slightly, and then it's like doing a stereogram, like you, you stare beyond the page, and then like, suddenly, oh my god, it's all in 3D, yeah. and you, I, I know what this is, and, you just, and you're lost in it. Amazing, yeah, that was, I couldn't think of a better and more Jonathan-esque
0: way to describe what it is that <laughs> makes uh, Imperial Triumph and such a, yeah, like a, you said, a conscious shifting yeah. Uh, phenomenon absolutely love what they're doing um again it really
2: really translated to other you know people not not in the death metal world whatever and like even i had to acclimatize to them when i first heard them
0: and that really is saying something if if you haven't heard the imperial triumphant album um yet, it will definitely be one of the albums from this list i implore you go and check out even if just to frazzle your brain and um never return to it again uh we've got an enslaved album in at number nine here. Enslaved breaking the top ten. Very cool to see. Utgard, Jonathan wrote an excellent piece on this album and what it all means to them. Uh in a in a recent issue of Metal Hammer. Um what else can we say about this enslaved album, Jonathan? We talked about it quite a lot.
2: Yeah, uh well, enslaved albums tend to go in phases, and this felt like a very much a new phase. I felt like in Times in E, there were one aspect of them, like it's very layered sound. This was much more, bit more stripped down. Obviously, did all the different, you know, did all the proggy things, but all the proggy bits were, um, you know, in a bit more sharper relief. Um, And it's yeah, the um, the concept of it was um, going into into the realm. I think I think I mis mispronounced it or misnamed it the last time I talked about it, Jotunheim or. if you're a Thor Marvel fan or Utgard is the other name for it, which is the realm of the giants and it's a promoter of chaos. But, you know, you go into chaos to, for knowledge, and it's kind of that dark place inside of us all. So it's a, um, it's a metaphor for the subconscious. And it's really interesting actually how like a lot of black metal bands and all bands, you know, from around Bergen actually, have all been talking about this as a theme. Uh, when I spoke to Garl for the Garl's Verd, uh album, Get, uh, ghost invited. Um, he was talking about how it was very much um, to do with the subconscious and the um, voices in the subconscious. And if you talk to Einar about the forthcoming Magnum album, he'll talk to you about you know the, um, the, the the unconscious realms and primordial realms. And I guess in a year when we were all kind of confronted with ourselves, um, that it kind of taught you. You know, it, it was kind of almost like it felt like a, it wants to be a guide for not being afraid of that, to question yourself, to not be afraid of the dark, as it were. And, but the fact that all the music sounds, you know, for a band that came from musically, at least anyway, a black metal sound, their records sound so hopeful. Um, like the riffs are so open-ended and they always sound like they're about to embark on a voyage. Um, you have know, this kind of hopefulness. And um, what's what's that name of that? The, there's a real kraut rocky track in halfway through um, the really groovy one, Steve. What was that called?
3: Um, oh my god! Hold on.
2: You yeah,
3: or like something? Yeah, it was called. Uh, oh my god! I've got to find the album now. Hold on, give me two seconds. I can't remember. It's got a weird name, right? They've all, well, they've all got weird,
1: yeah.
3: Um, different names.
2: Um, oh, I don't know. come back to me. Yeah, but but um, so you know, it was kind of like one of those like standout tracks, only because it's like so different from something they've already done. But um, there's but there's that it's still an element that's been within them for a long time because they obviously love like prog and, and kraut and kraut and kraut rock, which is like you know early seventies bands like Can and Faust and Neu, and um, so and he was saying that it was a uh, um, yes, Uyoten. And it's a song that they'd always been wanting to, to write, but now kind of felt the right time. And um, yeah, it, it just feels like a good time right now for people to try out something, and um, and it will totally fit because um, you know when you know when we've lost our bearings a little bit, you you've got to remake them in new ways, and that's very much what this album was about. And you know for them because musically as well, because it felt like it was a different phase musically that they were moving into as well. And it has an actual anvil on it, so you know that makes it as metal as anything you're going to get this year. Doesn't get any more metal than that. Uh,
0: Speaking of just good fucking heavy metal albums, in at number eight was one of my very highest uh, rated albums of the year. Trivium, What the Dead Men Say. We've talked about Trivium so much on the podcast this year, so I won't talk about it too much. I've got a feeling I might be talking about them again before the end of the show as well. Um, But uh yeah i love this album i think it's fair to say we all pretty much love this album um arguably the best thing they've done certainly uh worthy of rating next to anything else they've done um and we said a few months ago that uh, or i said a few months ago at least that if i had to kind of show an alien what metal was in its purest kind of 21st century form i would probably show them this album um love this record And it still uh, gets regular airplay for me, Um, as does the album that's in at number seven. This is one of the ones uh, I should say, because with Trivium, I thought that might be a shout for an album that might win the whole thing because loads of writers love Trivium and Metal Hammer. It's generally agreed they've made a great album. That's normally a formula for them doing pretty highly up the list. Um, But I was pleasantly surprised to see some of the younger bands, um, in fact, loads of the younger bands that made the top 10. And this is one of them. Uh, Oceans of Slumber in at number seven with their self-titled album. Again, this was very high up for me. We talked about this at length on the record. I played it loads on the Metal Hammer radio show that I was doing earlier in the year, uh, and I just think this is the best thing they've ever done for me. This album perfectly melds their progressive, expansive style of songwriting with those huge, emotional, heart-pulling uh, melodies and lyrics, and just unbelievable vocal performance from Cami. Um, I love this album. Again, I still play it all the time. It's a very different beast to an album like Trivium, which is just kind of a succinct set of heavy metal bangers. This is far more involved and layered and complex, and um, it's a long album as well, so it's one that I kind of only visit if I'm ready to go all in on it. Uh, But I love this Ocean's of Slumber album, and I was really, really happy to see it get all the way up to number seven in our albums of the year list. Um, So good for them. Happy times. Cammy's actually on the front of... uh, a front cover of this issue as well which is really cool and we did an interview with her about um about nailing that number seven spot which is good uh and then it's another exciting young artist uh in at number six a a williams forever blue um one uh an album and an artist that kind of personifies a common theme with a lot of metal nowadays in that it's not a heavy metal album by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever and yet it's really really resonated with a lot of the metal scene. Um, what do you reckon of this album, Elle?
1: Yeah, we've talked a lot about how it's not metal at all, but she really captured the spirit of metal. She felt like an outsider when she was growing up, and she was really happy to discover metal via films uh, like The Crow, you know, which have got all those kind of um, early two thousands bands on and, and that kind of spirit. And she studied music when she was a kid, and she went on to study it at university as well. So she's a classically trained musician and she's got that ear. And then the story goes that she found a guitar in the street and took it home and decided to play it and create her own compositions instead of playing with orchestras like she'd been used to and discovered this new world of self-expression, kind of drawing on some of those early 2000s metal influences plus this classical training to create this really dark, depressive, miserable sort of music. It's very downbeat. It's very intimate But it also encompasses elements of hope as well, of working through things, of transformation as a person and in really kind of delving into herself and what she's all about. And I think you can really hear the intimacy come across on the record and there's a lot to identify there with. Plus, there's a ton of crescendos in that record. She really specialises in kind of using her classical skills to really build songs up very very slowly and then bring massive things crashing down in them plus she's toured with bands like Cult of Luna and Sisters of Mercy and a member of Court of Luna guests on this record as well so very much in our world um, and I think you know there's a, a whole range of artists we've talked about recently and we'll talk about in the future that have found a home in metal that aren't necessarily traditional heavy metal artists so it's really interesting to see what's happening In the metal world at the moment, I think we're going to see more of this and more from A.A. Williams.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I fully agree with all of that. Jonathan, you were going to say something quickly?
2: Yeah,
1: just want to say that, you know, like what I said about
2: Enslaved how it's all about kind of going into a dark place as a transformative experience. That's very much what this album is as well, too. And, um, yeah, there's a real kind of psychological dynamic about, um, you know, with her music. I love it. It was in my top five. I'm pretty sure it was my top five or six anyway and um it yeah it's really it's it's really uplifting yeah it, it it is
0: strangely uplifting isn't it i agree with that that was one of this it's a very uh it's a real emotional roller coaster to pluck out yeah it
2: slows kind of down the pace until you until you get so much kind of m- m- granular detail in it
1: i should just say briefly as well that I obviously we both mentioned the transformation thing and it was really interesting that she's a female artist talking about some of this stuff because um again metal has been traditionally quite male dominated and i think in our top 20 and especially in our top 50 um it's great to see a lot more representation from all different kinds of people and uh, with this i think um yeah she touched on some of those things and gave a slightly different perspective which was cool
0: Very fair uh the next album we're into our top five now the real big guns of this year uh i was delighted to see this record in here as well it was in my top 20 it featured very highly in some people's lists as well uh, i know matt mills one of our writers i think it might have even topped his it certainly featured high up in his i know dave Everly, our acting online editor really really this album as well definitely one of the biggest british metal albums of the year svalbard when i die will i get better uh we talked about this album a lot um, it's even got a song written about Metal Hammer and an article we did in it, which is, in a in a strange bit of coincidence, kind of directly re- related to what El was just saying. Uh, we've talked about this record a lot. It's a great album, an emotional album, a candid album. Uh, anything else to add about this record, Steve?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, that clickbait, the song, is about the article which we've spoken about a few times that I wrote, which was kind of pertaining to exactly what El was saying. And, you know, Svalbard might not, give a shit about my opinion but I'm going to give it to them anyway it's a very very good record it's a great record in fact I think it's comfortably the best thing they've ever done it's very definitely a bit of me from the kind of I mean what I love about it and kind of what that I mean I don't want to go back and try and go yeah but I meant I meant I meant but the idea that um that I was trying to capture and I think A.A. Williams does it in Svalbard on this record do it as well um is that They are very clear ideas of what these songs are about. I mean, when you listen to this record, it's not this kind of, sometimes metal can go, oh, we've made it, metal bands can go, oh, we've made a political album, or this is the most personal album we've ever done. And you get these kind of wishy-washy ideas of like, the man's against me, and it's been the hardest time of my life, and these kind of cliches and stuff. Well, when you listen to the Svalbard album, you're in absolutely no doubt, what these songs are about you're in no doubt about Serena's state of mind you're in no doubt about the things that she's going through it's incredibly I mean I think what I love about it is it's kind of incredibly blunt in that way in the in the best possible way it's filterless in terms of its intention but musically um, they've just brought in this as well as this kind of black and hardcore thing that they do the moments where it rises those kind of elegiac classic heavy metal sounding, beautiful shoegazy parts that come into the record as well, just make it such a brilliantly stirring record. And although it's about a lot of quite painful, quite harsh, quite difficult, emotionally impactful things to listen to, I also think it's a really hopeful record. I also think it's a really emotionally moving record as well. And, you know, it's... And they do things, they do so much in such... A short space of time. I mean, to, there's a. I talk about Touche Amore a band, who I love a lot, and they're a punk band who do really big emotional songs, and they can do things that like post rock bands do in in a two minute space. And I think Svalbard have got to the point where a lot of bands, like some like Death Heaven or Alcest, might take nine minutes to get their point across. They might take nine minutes to to go through in, or to all these different directions and to to hit all of those 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 broad strokes sort of in when they want to touch on all these different genres, where Svalbard are doing all of that and making those songs feel just as epic, but they're doing it in three minutes sometimes, doing it in three and a half minutes. I think that's a real skill. So musically, I think this album is like breathtakingly skillful and I massively, massively admire the sort of the guts and the honesty and the rawness and the intention of it. And, you know, they might not respect my opinion, but I respect them anyway.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure there is respect your opinion uh, yeah it's an amazing album uh, and uh, we did talk to Serena about the uh, about that that song that she wrote um, about the Milham piece and all the rest of it in a recent piece which if you can't already read online you'll probably be able to read quite soon but it isn't a hell of a record Style Bar" When I Die Will I Get Better at number 5 uh, in at number 4 uh, again an amazing amazing shape-shifting bizarre album from the depths of the underground Aranzi Pazuzu, and Kinsey, uh, Out on Nuclear Blast. Jonathan, this is, if I had to pick an album that just felt like it was Jonathan Seltzer incarnate, it would probably be this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to say on this, we
2: we did it as well. for the. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, my album of the year by 666 million parsecs. Um, not only did it resonate with my brain, I kind of, maybe it's because of my brain that I've kind of felt no album this year resonated with 2020 as much as this one did. And, it's just, a, you know, it's a shame they never got to play it live because I swear to God, like, the same way we, you get this kind of breathless anticipation before, like a particular kind of anticipation you get before a Highland gig or a Valdrinna gig, where you know you're going to get taken out of yourself. And that's just like, hmm, before they come on, that's what they would have been like if they could have played live. And, um, yeah, it's just, just again, just going to that, into that kind of psychological dark hole, but coming through it um, and being transformed. That's kind of what it felt like uh just but such a scenic route to it and um yeah it's just i just kind of think it's like it's like this kind of alien being that that took over the body of like 2020 in my in my brain anyway and when 2020 dies and and flesh t- disappears this this host will still be surviving will be what you remember from this year just it just like took succor from from the weirdness that was 2020 and it's just it's just going to grow in, this album's going to grow in stature. Um, from here on in
0: i loved it yeah it, it was very high on my list as well uh what are you, what are you saying steve well
3: i'm gonna say I, it was in, in my top 10 i think but as you know when that's gone in it's just got higher and higher because the more i listen to it it's one of those records where the first time, i mean i'm this is not really my i compared to jonathan it's not my level of or my area of expertise at all but when i first heard it i couldn't really fathom what i was hearing but the more and more i hear it now i just i love being sucked you get sucked deeper and deeper and deeper into this warped vision of whatever they're doing and it it's it's frightening but it's unbelievably rewarding as well i think this record's amazing
2: yeah it's so hypnotic Mm. um like you know the groove is so hypnotic It's
0: an amazing album. I fully agree. That was number four, Aranzi Pazuzu. Number three, I think, has been many people's album of the year. It was my album of the year. I know that it was Stephen Hill's album of the year. An album that got a rare 10 out of 10 review in the pages of Metal Hammer uh, and an album that really set the agenda and a band that set the agenda for much of the year. Um, We've probably talked about this album more than any other on the podcast this year. So I guess as succinctly as you can, Steve, what else can you say? about underneath by code orange oh,
3: that's all right.
0: <laughs> all right see you later everyone <laughs>
3: um i don't know i don't know i don't know what else i can say really i just um i just know i'm right in in 10 years time i know people will still be talking about this record i know i'm right i've i've said everything i could possibly ever say about it and i know there have been a, I, what, what i will say is bands like slipknot and Corn and Metallica are divisive bands right and no one's kicking up a stink about you know the Havoc album and going oh my god it's the best thing and no one going oh I hate it I, I, I despise it because they're just doing the things that metal does and that's fine that's great but the reason why I think Code Orange it shows that Code Orange are the best band is because for every person like me who drools all over how brilliant they are there are a bunch of people who hate them and that was the same with Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park and, like I say, Slipknot and Pantera and yada yada and Nirvana and yada, yada 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 yada. I am right. They are the best band.
0: Oh, I did it again with the mute. Very, very well put. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I think this album will definitely stand the test of time. Um, shout out Code Orange. An amazing, amazing, amazing record in at number two i would say the most pleasant surprise and i mean that with no disrespect to one of the greatest and most important extreme bands of all time but i really wasn't expecting this in at number two napalm death throws of joy in the jaws of defeatism we have talked about this album on the podcast quite a lot as well but um what a cool thing to see this band get uh, the kind of respect that they well not that they deserve that they quite rightly have uh any extra thoughts on napalm death in at number two jonathan uh, just, not all, Steve. I know you both like that album.
2: Yeah, I think we we talked about it at absolute length, but it's it's not even a matter of respect. It's just um, it, just what they're doing now is so unique and um, like everything they do, like they've done is done with such utter conviction and with such um, you know, knowledge and you know, it's, it's almost like a kind of a history of a lot of kind of strange music of the last twenty years or thirty years even, but just all shoved into present moment and in, into your face. Um it's uh I just absolutely love this record so much. And um, you know, band band of that of that pedigree still doing something new and still surprising you with when the whole reputation is based on doing one thing and it's just like that that was just like, you know, that was like the big bang and there's there's all these other elements that are finally coming to light uh with their um with their music. I mean um,
3: is for me uh, you can go back and listen to Scum and I think it's a moment in time and Lay Palm Death have been a legendary band for a really 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 long time but when you get this deep into your career and you're putting out albums which I'm sorry kind of objectively speaking this is a better record than anything they did in the 80s it's more of an interest you know. and and how many metal bands can say that I mean they're not even a metal band I feel even like calling them a metal band is doing a a massive disservice because I don't even think they're a metal band if if you want to boil it right down, they're probably a punk band, but then they're some sort of weird avant-garde music project. And you know, to still be making records which are not just decent versions of something that you've done before, but actually as good as anything you've ever put out. And in in this case I'd say better than a lot of albums that I love. Like they're just they're incredible, Napalm Death. Absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, very, very richly and deserving and very cool to seem to get number two. But there can only be one number one. And I have to say, I wasn't too surprised by this. I think I said to pretty much everyone here at one point or another, it wouldn't surprise me if this album gets the number one, simply because they are one of the most consistent, critically lauded, beloved bands ever. And they put out a hell of a great album this year. So it's not surprising that a fuck ton of our writers <laughs> voted for it. Number one Mel Hammer album of the year is the Deftones album, Ohm's. Al, oh, I know it was your album of the year, so do you want to have the final say on this one?
1: Yeah, I wrote a massive piece of the magazine about this record. Well, a couple. So I'm not really sure what's left to say, but in terms of context, uh, I loved gore, but not everybody did. It was more kind of melodic, more post-punk. It was really well publicised that Steph, the guitarist, hadn't been that interested initially in the recording process. So that album was quite divisive for them. For this record, they went back to the Spots, which was their old rehearsal space. They hadn't used it since bassist Chi Cheng passed away. And they also reunited with producer Terry Dates. So it kind of felt a little bit like the stage was set for something special anyway. And then they just all seemed to be on top form on this record. Everybody seemed to contribute equally. And it sounded really, really big. Steph's riffs were kind of back front and centre and Frank had these really spacey sounds with his synths that just kind of sounded like this big universe and you know we spoke to Chino for the feature and he opened up about how this was more of a personal record for him, how he'd had some therapy and made some changes in his life and the songs seemed to kind of reflect that personal journey he'd been on. You've got the first track Genesis which is all about new beginnings and having a change of life And although the record was written before the pandemic, I think it was really, really cool that they actually still decided to put it out when a lot of bands were kind of hesitating on whether or not to put out a record, whether to delay things, put things back. Deftones put their record out and in a world where things seemed uncertain, it was really nice to have this record that felt like being in this massive, expansive universe and it being okay to kind of question who you are and where you're going and look into that a little bit like what Jonathan said about enslaved and up guard. and I think it just had this kind of sense of we're not alone we're all on this planet we're all human and um just a big massive deftones record them doing what they do as well as they do it and for me that's why it's the record of the year
0: Fair fucking play. Well put. Uh, So yeah, Deftones won the album of the year. That is a democratic vote. So thanks to all our lovely writers and contributors for getting involved in that. Um, We got some little end of year awards we're going to do now. Uh, It's not official. And I mean, one band's not even winning each one because we're picking one each, but we thought we (laughs) could shout out to some other things that we want to celebrate and talk about this year. Uh, we're going to start with the underrated album of the year. Uh, I'm going to go first because um, I feel like to many people this will be a bit of deja vu because it's the same band that I picked for the underrated album of the year from a couple of years ago. Uh, it's Bleed From Within with Fracture. We talked about the Lamb of God album, how it did, uh, you know, it did all right. It ticked the right boxes, but didn't really blow us away. I think that this Bleed From Within album did the kind of stuff that Lamb of God do, but it did it much, much better if you want uh, that kind of groove, heavy, impactful strain of modern metal done at its absolute top highest level, go and check out the Blue From Within album because they're one of the best metal bands in the UK and they deserve to be far bigger than they are. So that's my shout. What is your shout, Stephen?
3: Uh, my shout is Prison by Jay Jail, which is not really strictly a metal album, but it's um, Evan. Evan Patterson, who's in the band The Young Widows, uh, he goes out with Emma Ruth Rundle, and I think he's done a few collaborative things with her over the past So, and it's out on Sergeant House, so it's still very much part of, a bit like we were saying, Emma A. Williams, it's like maybe a kind of a non-metal album from a metal artist in a lot of ways uh, I love this record I think probably two of the best albums that have been released in the last five years are um, uh, Nick Cave's Skeleton Tree and uh, You Won't Get What You Want by Daughters. Um, And if you kind of met those two albums slap bang in the middle, that's what you get with Prison. It's a kind of electronic post-punk soundscape of, the the kind of, it kind of, it's it's like a sort of singer-songwriter-y, storyteller-y album, but also it can get very, very heavy and it can get very, very dark. And it's not so dark, like the Daughters album is hard work. And Skeleton Tree, it's kind of hard, obviously that's hard work as well, but it's hard work in a, in a different sort of way. It kind of manages to marry those two things and make it sound really listenable as well. Um, I've not really seen anyone else talking about this record particularly, but I think it's, it's amazing. It was something that sort of cropped up on my radar from nowhere and i listened to it and i thought this is really good and as the year has gone on I and mean, i'm not going to lie if this year was three months longer i might be looking at that as my number one album overall because I, I i might have listened to this more than any other album this year and that's in the year when code orange and some of the other things that i'm going to talk about have come along it's absolutely brilliant and it just sucks you in if you're into like black star by david bowie or you Ooh. know or any of those kind of thing, all those kind of really dark very somber but very just kind of piano and a bit of synth. Like, you'll love this shit. It's well Berlin. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. And how
0: do you spell j Because we haven't covered them before.
2: It's J-A-Y-E J-A-Y-L-E, I think. Yeah, and the album's called Prison,
0: but
3: it's P-R-I-S-Y-N.
2: Yeah, it's very yeah. different from the previous albums. It's much more electronic than previous records. It's yeah. kind of rolling, building up kind of sound. Um,
0: uh... Jonathan, seeing as you're talking, what is your underrated album of the year? Uh,
2: I've got two, but I'm going to talk one about many. Witch Hazel, um, which is um, weirdly like some of, my, some of my favorite bands around. I like Christian bands, obviously. Woven Hand are probably one of my favorite bands in the entire universe. This is like a kind of um, like a, a classic heavy metal sounding band, um, and the songwriting is so good. And but they've just got all the right feel as well. To like i don't even remember you know there was a whole big return of like denim like retro metal and it all petered out because it was just like a bunch it was a bunch of people who love um, thinness whatever having a go and but the this one this album is really kind of living within it's got the whole kind of sense of nostalgia and belief in what they're doing that resonates through every track um uh the a- whole atmosphere. They've been. They've got these ridiculous um sort of like outfits as well, um which always helps. And I, I swear, like they're as good a songwriters as, as Ghost are. So imagine, imagine almost like a kind of like a Christian Ghost. And there's one or two bands that have really kind of captured that genuinely luminous feel. That like, everyone thinks like, oh, old school heavy metal is really um. Dirty and denim and just grubby and everything, but there's something really luminous about them. Thin Lizzy, with um a band called Black Magic, uh, who also do it really really well. And like when you capture the real spirit of something, it feels really timeless and um doesn't feel retro. And I just absolutely love this record. I just also want to give a shout out to Slamosa, who is kind of stoner rock band with with really a touch of um um, it just just Every song just hits hits the absolute perfect nerve. It's got kind of a touch of, mi- not misfits, but kind of Ramones in it as well too. And just every song just makes you feel really super alive.
0: Awesome. You're buffering quite a lot, Seltz, by the way. I don't know if you want to try going out and coming in again. You uh, went, a bit, uh, oh. went a bit nebulous and portally there. Oh, uh, <laughs> what's your most underrated album of 2020?
1: It's a Sordid Pink album, which is self-titled. Uh, they used to be Destiny Potato, uh band from uh, Belgrade in Serbia. They're a tech metal band, but this is more of like a poppy tech metal record. It just really um, hits the mark. Like all the songs are super, super well composed to be really tight, really catchy. Um, It's just brilliant. It's very, very glossy as well. And I just love this record. I played it loads and loads and loads and loads. And I think, yeah, it's a shame it didn't get a little bit more recognition when it came out because um, it's spot on
0: awesome uh, i'll tell you what i'll do actually as well in the melhammer readers group facebook.com slash melhammer readers i'll put the full list of these albums we've picked for all these categories as well just so everyone's got it in written form uh, yeah that sorted pink album really good fun i forgot that you were very into that uh yeah. the stream and gig of the year um it's been mostly streams but we've had some great gigs as well so you can have one of each if you want uh mine are nice and simple i thought long and hard about the the gig i had a few good gigs at the start of the year but i decided to go with the who because i thought it was really cool getting to see what all the hype was about and i fully buy into the hype um i saw them with l at uh, the electric ballroom it was absolutely stacked i had no idea what they were singing about half the time and i suspect a lot of the room didn't either but they were going absolutely doolally for everything they did and there's something about this band man there's something about this band uh so i vote for them for my gig of the year and for my stream of the year uh, i'm going with trivium just because i feel like they set the agenda for streaming with that that amazing a light from a distance mirror one it felt like a big event it reminded us of just how vital a metal band trivium are in the modern era um and yeah i just think they're grand so those are my picks what are your picks l for gig and stream of the year
1: I'm going to have to go with the who as well. I'm quickly flicking through my gigs that I went to and that gig was brilliant. Everybody was chanting like the who's name. Um, It was just a really good atmosphere and it was super, super fun. Closely followed by Lindemann just because it was so weird and they threw pies at people and had a gross fish cannon and weird projections. Can't quite believe they were this year. And then my stream of the year, um, I think it'd be the one I watched over the weekend, which is Tesseract with Portals. It was a fantastic show. They'd really thought about how they did it. It had a little bit of narrative between it with some actors um, and their kids. And it also just was really polished and felt like it had a load of heart in it. I think it's probably the one of the closest streams I've seen that was the closest to reflecting what a real performance is like from that band. Like having seen them multiple times, seeing them on the stream, I was like, they're, they're translating it quite well, you know. Um, and again, you could just tell there's a lot of kind of heart and soul in that. So it was a good one.
0: Excellent choices. Uh, Mr. Stephen Hill, what are your gigs of the countless you got to go to this year? And uh, I suspect I know what your stream of the year might be.
3: Yeah, Code Orange is the stream of the year, like fucking whatever. Um, but my, <laughs> I won't talk about it, you know it is. Um, but uh, my gig of the year is probably Slipknot and Behemoth at the O2. As someone who was at the Astoria in 1999 to see Slipknot's first UK gig, I have to say I looked around in sort of silent awe towards the end of that Slipknot show. I've seen that band a lot of times over the years, a lot a lot a lot of times, but if you'd told me back in 1999 that I would see seeing them at the the biggest sort of indoor venue in London, selling it out and sounding fucking ferocious with probably like the biggest death black metal band supporting them and then giving them a full a full production as well. I doubtless would have probably not believed that. So as well as it being like one of those massive, massive gigs, like I I love going, I mean, I nearly picked Employed to Serve and Palm Reader at the Underworld, which is the last gig I went to before everything shut down, because that was great. But sometimes going to see like a, like a big momentous event gig is great. And that was as good as an arena show as I've seen for
0: many a year. Oh, I couldn't go to that. I remember thinking, it doesn't matter, I'll catch them later in the year. Ha, ha, ha! Jonathan, your votes for gig and stream of the year. So, my gig
2: here was Abbott, Um And just seeing him finally on top form was really just incredible and it was just like everything i've been wanting from another gig since he started going solo obviously you know he's had a lot of issues um the london you know that first london gig was a was a total shit show and he got himself clean and it was just like everything i've always wanted um i always got from immortal gig and when he's been in front of Immortal, and um it was just absolutely electrifying and everything I ever, ever wanted, and to, to see him finally get to that stage, just like, ah, oh, yes, it was perfect. Um, the last game I went to was Grand Makes, and that was kind of special, because we knew it was going to be the last one before lockdown, and those songs, especially like Hammer of the North, has kind of valedictory feel that felt really magic in the moment. Uh, my stream of the year was Amon Ra, uh, the, the European Metal Festival Alliance, which was just such, it just it, just, it was on the first day, but it the centre point of the whole event. And so it was kind of, they do these rituals, but I mean ritual in the most um, down-to-worth kind of way. So it was um, basically uh, their bass player, Levi, was leaving. And so they did a special committed pick for him, where uh, and they played all of Mass 6, but they played in a circle around the fire. Uh, so as I say, the circle won't be unbroken. And just, the, yeah, the level of intensity you get from Eamon Ra and, again, that kind of sense of... Li- levitation you get from them was just absolutely incredible it was stunning shot they just um showed again last year and the way the way that they have these uh, like panels that converge towards the end just absolutely incredible like everything is done with such meaning to it and and it just goes beyond what your brain can consider as meaning You get there if you do everything with absolute meaning to it
0: Amazing. Yeah, they're they a fabulous band, Damon Wright. Absolutely fabulous. This is what I'm really interested and excited to uh, talk about because it's not stuff we get to talk about in this kind of format very much. Uh, the non-Metal Hammer album of the year. Uh, so we're going to kind of put work aside for a second. What's your favourite album from this year that would never get near the pages of Metal Hammer magazine? I'm going to start with Steve.
3: Oh, good. I've got a few. Rina Sooyama, who is just poppy but good um uh i would also say the i mean one of the best reviewed albums of the year fetch the bolt Cut by fiona apple is an amazing brave brilliant unique fascinating record um i'd like to shout out the Leeds based post punk band i like trains which is a terrible name but their album's called compromat and it basically sounds like the pet shop boys and pill being fronted by Boris Johnson. It's really funny and it's really insightful satire and it's actually much better than I've just made it sound. And, <laughs> and um, I think we're about to talk about Run the Jewels probably at some point, so that would be my other one. But for me, the only other band who get close on this planet to Code Orange are Clipping and their album, their, yes. their, their album Visions of Bodies Being Burnt. They released an album called There Existed an Addiction to Blood a year and a week before this record. And it was my favourite album of 2019. This record is damn close to being my favourite album of 2020. To put out that much unbelievable material in 53 weeks is staggering. Um, They're probably the heaviest band we've spoken about today as well. Like, they're monstrously heavy and weird and avant-garde. And their frontman, Davy Diggs, who was in the musical Hamilton, uh, is maybe the best rapper on the planet at the moment. He's incredible. If you haven't heard this band, I mean, they are literally the, one of the best things on the face of the earth right now. Fucking staggeringly brilliant band.
0: Uh, Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. They were very high up in my list as well. Clipping are fucking brilliant. And they are a band I'd not even heard about until Steve told me about them last year. And they are. Yeah. I mean, even calling them hip hop is probably too, specific terminology just if you like abrasive brilliantly produced music um that is insightful and kind of edge and just amazing i fully back that clipping album um what is your non-metal hammer album of the year l
1: steve just said it actually it's Rina sawayama yes the japanese singer-songwriter who grew up in the uk um she's got a self-titled debut album came out in april she basically, like Steve says, it's a pop record, but it's got a ton of new metal in it as well. She writes a lot about intergenerational pain and cultural stereotypes. And uh, she's just brilliant. Really, really catchy songs, but there's a lot to them when you dig beneath the surface. And um, she's really um, gaining a lot of traction at the moment. I've seen a lot of stuff written about her. Um, so I think she's going to go on to massive things. And I am excited.
0: Yeah, she's awesome. I back that. She was in my shortlist as well. Really exciting. Like, alternative. There's new metal influences in there. Like, it's pop music, but not as we know it, I guess. Uh, Jonathan, what is your non-metal hammer album of the year? Agnes Opel, Myopia.
2: Sorry, Um, say that again. You're breaking up something chronic, mate. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I've got the roots of my roots. I don't know why the um, internet's going a bit weird, but Agnes Obel, Myopia. Great album. Yeah, I, I mean, I discovered her last album, Seal uh, of Glass, and um, I, I, sometimes I, get, I listen to the, the new music section on, on Apple Music. And I go, this is shit. Oh, my God. What the fuck is this? This is shit. And then, I go, oh, my God. And I just, I've just like i been obsessed with her ever since. And so the last album, I, it was great record for walking, it feels like you're just walking into some new world, like inching slowly into this new world, like it's kind of like you go into this magical secret garden in twilight. So, I used to do these long walks along canals, and that, that would be my soundtrack music. Um, it's a great installation record as well, too. It's got this really magical ambience to it. Um, her voice is a little bit like Kate Bush, not in the high notes, but in the mid range notes, the way she kind of carves the vowels, and um, and it's just got this constantly moving, slow carousel, magical universe it creates and um just absolutely immersive um just yeah just kind of weird dream pop like very scandic uh i also want to give a shout out to hey elbow which is also like really dreamy pop music and well, what's, that like- what's that called sorry cells hey elbow v3 is the name of the like wwe e3 uh, they're more dreamy as they go on uh, but they got absolutely lush textures that go getting progressively more avant-garde and suad which is a female singer um on smart records which is normally like a sort of a metal label this is just pure pop and just every song is just does everything you want a pop record to be. it's like a slightly modern sensibility and i normally hate modern pop um but this is um but this is just it just hits all the pleasure centers completely suad
0: amazing love it uh yeah those are all amazing choices um and i've, I've i had a kind of quite a long short list that were, Already, some of which have already been named on here um i mean for hip-hop yes the clipping album is absolutely amazing and very 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 close to being my hip-hop album of the year um i loved the freddie gibbs record the denzel curry record uh the j electronica record i loved the logic record as well if you look on a 2004 era kanye you definitely need to get on that logic album um i thought it was a good year for dance music i had sub focus fortet camel fat uh hot since 82 these are starting to sound like those random name generators but they're real people uh <laughs> lane eight uh duke Dumont, and the net sky album as well again we'll put all these uh shouts up on the Melhammer no, facebook group in case there are people who want to check some of these out really back that rena Sawyama album um i love the dua lipa album and the lady gaga album for what it's worth for pop music as well uh, and the weekend um I was very close to talking about the Biffy Clyro record for this because it's probably the album I've played the most this year in any genre. Like, tonally, I think it just came at the right time. Every time I was feeling fed up with what 2020 is, I put that new Biffy album on and it just made me feel like everything was going to be okay. I think it's an amazing uh, record and it's my favourite thing they've ever done. Um, that's probably got quite a lot of press. Uh, as Why are you laughing, Steve? <laughs>
3: they're, a rock, they're a rock band though, aren't they? So they count... as
0: Good point, good point. Now I brought band, but then they wouldn't get into Metal Hammer, so I, I'm sneaking them in. Um, but actually a band that probably would be more likely to get into Metal Hammer if I'm being totally honest, but one that uh I just think has completely defined this year for me is the Run the Jewels record, RTJ4. I was pleased to see a lot of our readers in the Facebook group pick this album as well when I asked them for their choices for all these categories. Um that Run the Jewels album, I've loved this band since they first turned up. Uh, I was aware of Killer Mike because he was on some old Outcast albums. So I kind of knew who he was, but um, I've been just completely all in on Run The Jewels since he teamed up with LP. Uh, I didn't think they topped the second record because for me, that they kind of perfected their formula on that one. Um, but on this fourth one, it's just the fact that it's the best thing they've done anyway makes it an automatically all-time top hip-hop record because it's just so good. Um, it's kind of fun in places like a lot of run the jewels albums are as well, but it's also very heavy and kind of urgent and incisive and cutting at points as well. Uh, But the fact that it dropped at the time that it did, just as the black lives matter protests were really reaching their pinnacle in the media coverage and um, the whole kind of debate getting framed around the murder of George Floyd was, was all happening. Uh, This album came in the midst of all of that. And there are some lyrics on here from killer Mike that just will stop you dead in your tracks. He's always been an amazing rapper, and I think people that know and have seen him on television talking about stuff know that he's an extremely intelligent, uh, interesting, layered bloke. Um, but some of the things he has to say on this record are just heart stopping and just emotional and just so cutting and insightful. Um, and to me, what hip hop is all about is that it's 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 a spoken truth turned into art. And this Run the Jewels album just personifies that for me, and I think it's an absolutely incredible record. And I've got to say, it's probably my favorite album of the year across all genres. And I would totally uh, put Run the Jewels in Metal Hammer because I think um, it's an album that a lot of metalheads have resonated with a lot this year as well. Uh, I know you're big on this record as well, Steve.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say the the thing about it is the first nine minutes journey that it took you on is I think is unbelievable. Like to go from kind of um, Yankee and the uh what is it? Yankee and the grave, nice. and then to end with pulling the pin with Mavis Staples, her like this haunting, like vocal that comes in on that, and then a few words from the firing squad on the end. The way that it kind of starts like a fun album, gets angry, and then gets heartbroken by the end is not something that I've seen a lot of people sort of mention, but I think it's really, really important because it it just makes it almost it's almost like a concept album, but the concept is the, the realities of the world. Yeah
0: it's 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 an incredible incredible record made all the more pertinent by what's happened this year but it would still be just as impactful um i think without all that uh an amazing 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 album so yeah great choices uh everybody um what about the moment that defined metal in 2020 we're not talking about the pandemic because that defined everything but what for the for you guys is the moment that really defined our scene this year L
1: I don't know about metal, but just 2020, it's uh, unavoidable. You can't really talk about 2020 without talking about Black Lives Matter and the huge rise of the movement and the huge groundswell of support behind it. In terms of the music scene, um, you know, at louder uh, Metal Hammer's umbrella term, what am I talking about? Louder is, uh, yeah, like a group of brands, um, including Metal Hammer, classic rock, prog, et cetera, um, we all took a day to participate in the show must be paused which was an initiative to think about what we can do better in our own brands um, to represent people and there were many people from the metal world who um, put stuff out into the world as well shared that, sharing their opinions there was Rob Flynn who put out a song with Jesse Leach, uh, Alex Skolnick went out and took to the streets in the protests and captured some photos Of people in New York which you can see in the current Metal Hammer in our intro feature and we also published some in Summer as well and bands like Avenged Sevenfold went online and vocalised their support Um, and I think it was just this massive um, huge thing where everybody was talking about it and thinking about it and Um, really kind of digesting uh, what it means to be a person of colour in 2020 and lots of discussions around allyship so I think you know obviously that was a 2020 world event or world kind of movement but metal was involved in that in some way and the music industry has a big role to play in things going forward
0: hard agree and very well put um yeah my my choice was a bit more metal specific i guess but that's yeah you can't like you said oh you can't escape for that uh this year and and rightly so uh jonathan what was your thoughts on the moment that defined metal this year oh we've lost jonathan we can't hear you jonathan's audio has gone he's, oh, he's caught sorry, voice. It's back. It's back.
2: so um my moment was uh i think like the metal scene as a thing in itself uh, was the European Metal Festival Alliance just the way all these different festivals came together um and created something really great and was a really good running point um for everyone um to yeah ex- experience something like this you know maybe some people got together watch it watch it together and um yeah just seeing lots of different festivals come together in what would have been the biggest festival month of the year uh, august and um, it was a really great thing. It was just a really special weekend.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. I like that. Yeah, the kind of community feel of metal really came Yeah, very me.
2: much
0: community feel. Um, Steve, your moment of the year that defined metal?
3: Uh, it's not really a very nice one, but then 2020 has not been a very nice year. And I think because we've not been able to see each other that much, it is. it was horrible to see Riley from Power Trip pass away.
0: That was, but, that was my choice as well.
3: Yeah, it was, you know, really, really sad. But... I think that if you can take a positive from that, and it's not much of a positive, but the fact that you realize how much he meant to people and how important metal and music and these bands like and, and a young you know a young guy in a young band and how much he meant to seemingly every strand and sphere of of our scene, I actually found that to be like quite a beautiful thing um And I think that's what makes Riley not being here to see it all the more sad, really. Do you know what I mean? I mean, when you've got everyone from Harmed Way and, you know, uh, Knock Loose and Code Orange, like hardcore bands all the way up to Ice-T and, you know, big, big metal artist, metal artists talking about what an inspiration and what, you know, great guy he was and places well outside of the metal scene talking about him passing away and treating him with, a kind of reverence and a respect that we don't always get to see. And I think it's a shame that it's taken something like that to see those avenues actually mm. pay us a bit of respect. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a fucking brilliant dude and I think, well, it's just very sad, isn't it? But it is unfortunately something which feels like it, a summation of this year really.
0: Yeah. And no, I, I think the exact same thing, Steven, you've perfectly uh, encapsulated why i why i kind of thought this year obviously we lost eddie van halen this year and kind of in terms of a wider influence and a historic legacy and all this stuff that was of course a massive massive deal but there was something about riley passing that felt really pertinent to the metal scene and the metal community at a grassroots level and and i agree like past the just the just how gutting it was to 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 get that news through even though we all knew that Powtrip were a massively uh, exciting band and a band with such huge potential um, to do amazing things, it genuinely stunned me to see just how big the reaction was. Um, you know, I wouldn't say pleasantly surprised because it was such a horrible situation, but it was it was amazing to see the outpouring and just how far that band's, and and more importantly, his personal influence and impact had spread. Um, So, yeah, I agree. It was a devastating thing, but I think it really shone a light on uh, the ability of metal to kind of reach people and and tie communities together and, and just kind of highlighted what an amazing and impactful time he had in his time on this earth. So it sucked, but it was good to see that he kind of got the respect and recognition that I think he absolutely deserved um and yeah as we said ice T does pay tribute to him in the, in the current issue i'm not just using that as a, t- a cheap plug but um ice had some really really nice and impactful words about him as well and when, when someone like ice T is getting that candid about you you know you've uh you know you've made a hell of an impact on the world yeah. um right we're ending on a celebratory one now band of the year who are the bands that have defined 2020 for you i'm going to start with mr stephen hill and i suspect when it comes to the metal world i might already know your answer
3: <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty obvious isn't it i think the three brilliant streams the best album of the year uh, it's got to be code i mean it's it's code, it's code orange I don't really have anything i mean i've said all this so much to people I
0: now go on, now go on though because we haven't actually said a lot about code orange on this podcast so go on have a minute to just talk about why code orange because well, they I, are the th- way, they?
3: well I think is you know what i love about code orange is that i don't like i, I don't feel like i see danger and um I guess you call it arrogance but I mean it is arrogance that they they really genuinely believe they're the best band and bands used to say this sort of shit all the time and we grew up with you know a blur and oasis and stuff and we all loved seeing the Gallagher brothers like going on about how great they were and how they were much better than everything else and you know it made them characters and stuff and I look at Code Orange and I go you've got a strong personality you've got You pick music up from all over the place. They clearly work incredibly hard, and I think the thing that I see in them that I see, I don't see in so many other bands, is those songs are catchy. They're heavy. They're really fucking heavy. But those songs are catchy. Those songs will sound great on big festival stages. And I think I've got to a point in sort of metal music where I think you only get one or the other. You don't often get. You know, there's a load of very catchy sounding, very bland metalcore bands all playing in you know their videos in a warehouse and ripping off architects. And you go, "Oh, this song's quite catchy. It sounds like everything else. It's safe as fuck." You cannot say that Code Orange is safe. Code Orange are everything that I've that I want. I, I that excited me about metal when I started listening to it in the '90s. Machine Head and Pantera and Slipknot and Corn and those bands. They weren't and Marilyn Manson. It wasn't safe. And Code Orange feel like legitimately dangerous to me. Um, And I love the fact that they've, they've taken that and they've also melded it with stuff like clipping and injury reserve and um, cutting edge hip hop. And they're using electronics. They're not just like, Oh, we're bringing the horizon and we'll put a little bit of electronic in the background so that it will get on radio one. They're not doing that. They're they're looking at or and square pusher and cutting edge, electronic bands they're delving from the very very hardest places from all these very different strands of music and yet it's those those songs still sound like singles they look amazing live they've got genuine ambition i don't know i think you've got to applaud them for being really the only band who even pretended like they want to be the biggest band in the world so yeah code orange in it
0: there you go. Very hard to argue with all of that. They are unquestionably the uh, four most exciting young bands in the scene today. It's just, yeah, pretty clear. Uh, what would your choice be, Oh, Who's the band that's defined 2020 the most for you?
1: I don't know. It's a really hard choice, isn't it? band of the year, because what does that even mean? Like, I agree with most of what Steve said. I wouldn't go as far that's as... do not
0: out my categories.
1: <laughs> it just is. I wouldn't I agree with everything Steve said about Code Orange. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying that, like, they're dangerous in a way that scares me kind of thing but the fact that they were meant to release their record and it was right in the eve of the pandemic and they quickly pivoted and did a live stream where they haven't really let up they've just done a bunch of stuff for their fans on like discord and whatever and they've really gone all out to keep pushing their music and pushing their world is really super impressive and the fact that the album is so good as well is really super impressive so it's really hard to argue against that the only other contender for me would be deftones because obviously i'm obsessed with ohms i think it's a brilliant record but in terms of band activity it's really hard to argue against code orange because obviously deftones had that record out they celebrated white pony that was really cool um but for me it
0: black was... valiant as well which no oh, kind of valiant, valiant.
1: yeah no i love that um so th- yeah i guess they've done more than i thought but for them the reason why i love deftones is kind of all about um the music, whereas Code Orange was about the music and the event. So I don't know. They were my number one and two albums of the year. So I guess either one of those would be a good option for me.
0: That's very fair. And if you hadn't, we realised the other day to our horror that we completely skipped over the Black Stallion release because it was out last week and we didn't talk about it on the podcast. If you haven't heard the Black Stallion album, which is a set of remixes of White Pony from the likes of Robert Smith from The Cure, Square Pusher, uh tourists loads of really interesting and varied names it is fucking brilliant it is so so good go and check it out and i say that as at best the third biggest deftones fan in this room yeah it is really really good uh jonathan your band of the year for 2020
2: obviously you're anti pazuzu they're like a black hole that made the whole universe turn for me Uh, i also just like to I'm, i'm doing much more to that other than they're also one of the first people to do um uh live uh a um, live stream obviously much smaller budget but what they did was really imaginative and they were so perfect that everyone thought it was pre-recorded and it wasn't um, but the way they did all these overlays um, and the intensity with which they played was incredible and that was one of the very, very early early live streams as well too when they didn't have anything else to go on really was, yeah. so they played the whole album in full when they should have played at Roadburn and um, yeah so they're the one that defined what 2020 felt like for me
0: Excellent. Um, Yeah, those are all brilliant choices. Aranzi Pazusu absolutely represent the kind of the shape of the underground as it is in 2020. Deftones, you could move for their activity in the year as well. I think Code Orange is really hard to argue against in terms of the band that really made 2020 their own. Um, The band that I picked that for me personally, maybe just Edge Code Orange, even though I voted their album ahead of um, this one, uh, is Trivium because I think that... Not only did they also release, a, quite frankly, brilliant album uh, right on the eve of the uh, of the pandemic, um, they also have just been a constant presence in the streaming world. They did the Light or Distant Mirror stream, which is one of the best examples of that format I've ever done. Um, I agree, Code Orange are in that category as well. Um, and I just think Hefi in general as well has just been such a presence throughout the year. He's been so forthcoming in elevating other artists, whether it's through just bands he's listening to or helping other artists and, and people in the metal world to get on Twitch and kind of broaden metal's presence on there. Um, I just think uh, it's never, I've never felt more celebratory and just pumped about Trivium. And they've been in the scene for nearly 20 years now, And I never would have thought that they'd be reaching peak form in 2020. It just didn't seem possible a few years ago. Uh, And I'm so happy that they've come and done that. Um, They set the bar high back again with The Sin and Sentence. And I think they surpassed it with what the Dead Men say. And I think they've just absolutely crushed it this year. And, um, you know, good for them. What a brilliant band. Uh, Stephen, do you have to duck out before we go on to the questions? I imagine you do, don't you? Probably do, yeah. All right, no stress, mate. Well, thank you very much for having us on. Steve's got to go do an interview because we do have uh, jobs and stuff outside of this podcast, believe it or not.
3: Really quickly answer all the questions. I can just give you the no. So, um, hum, Uh it'll be good. Um What are the under... I haven't got an answer to that.
0: We'll do um, one now really quickly. You can do the first one. Let's do the next year. What's your prediction for what next year's arm um of the year will be? What are you most excited? What do you think... Uh, will be the yeah? Uh, Joel Anthony asked that question uh, from the Metal Hammer readers Facebook page. What's your prediction for next year's Metal Hammer album of the year, or what will your be album?
3: um I don't know who's got album, an album out this year. I guess all the big guys might have because everyone's been recording stuff. So it could be somebody big. I mean, will Converge have an album out? Maybe that would probably be something where I would consider would be pretty high up. It's really difficult to tell. It will probably be somebody who I haven't even heard of yet. I mean, that's a good thing. The last sort of few years, I. I I mean, this year was admittedly fairly predictable for me because I love Code Orange that much and they delivered. But usually it's something which kind of sneaks up on me a bit. When I think about all the albums that have come along, I mean, Architects have got a new album coming out. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't pretty high up. Uh, Are we going to get a Rammstein album? That would be, you know, it's got to be in with a shout as well. So there's plenty of things that might happen. And yeah, that'd be it.
0: I agree. Excellently put, sir. Um, we're going to let you go and enjoy your interview now and we'll see you on the podcast next year. Bye, right, bye. Thanks, everyone. Cheerio. Bye, bye. Bye, Steve. Cheers, Steve. is gone. Let's bitch about him. No, let's not. Um, yeah, Steve made some good points there. Uh, so, yeah, Joel Anthony wanted to know what our prediction was for next year's Metal Hammer album of the year. I think one thing the Deftones thing has shown and that these things often shown is that when it comes to our critics polls, um, it's always going to be hard to unseat the big boys and girls because uh you know if you've got big celebrated bands and they release an album that is generally considered to be good you're going to get a lot of people voting for them so on that kind of bracket i think you know if i made and release an album next year that's going to be in contention because you know they're the greatest heavy metal band of all time but also it's been next year will be six years since book of souls so you just have to think a new album's coming at some point so if that's next year that'll be up there uh avenged have been very quiet It'll be five years since the stage by the end of next year, um, which again is a long, long gap for them. So that'll be up there if that happens. In terms of a metal album that will kind of define the year and I think will set the tone for metal as it is now, like modern metal, um, I can't look past Gajira. I think that's probably going to be the album that people are very excited about and I could see that maybe doing it. I think Magma won it in 2016, didn't it?
2: Yeah, I was going to say Gojira, actually. Uh, they, they have to be in with a shout. I mean, I thought the single wasn't as big a, as Leap. Like, there was such a leap to Magma. But uh, sometimes singles give you no real sense of what the album's going to be like. Um, but it's just, what they do is so from the heart, and they're untouchable. And um, it was such a, like, Magma was such a worthy winner. And, like, um, if, if Gojira put an album out next year, I can't see it not. I can't. See. I, I would. Be, I would. I wouldn't be surprised at all of one. Uh, just one thing. Usually, there's every year there's like one underground band that kind of gets really high, like in the top five or top ten. And my prediction next year is going to be Ruins of Beverest, new album, mm. um, which is called The Fall. Grimoires. They're one of the best un- underground bands there is. Like, like, like occult death, touch of black metal bands there is. just... When it's, when it's when there's a real power to it, you can't fake it. And when you see, see them live you hear them, it's so it's so tangible. And this new record is just absolutely epic. It's it's their masterpiece. I think. Wow. It's over now. It's an hour and ten minutes long, and I I'm surprised if I'll be surprised if all our um you know extreme metal fans who write for the magazine well, are going to put like really highly. Awesome.
0: You've got good form for uh, picking those bands out as well. Ruins of Beverast. Remember where you heard. The ruins that- of I remember, where you heard that hot tip first? Uh, L, what are you thinking for arms of the year next year?
1: Good <laughs> that was my number one thought. Um, seeing them play Brixton when they came over here, the second go around on the last record was incredible. They were filming that for live DVD. They had that uh power outage where someone spilled a beer on the lighting desk, but it was still this amazing show with this really intense atmosphere like everyone was on board and they were just doing something really special they've got a really special energy Um, they've influenced a ton of new bands and the single another world um I kind of agree with you Jonathan in that I wasn't particularly um blown away I didn't think it was um you know anything kind of different to what they'd done but I went back to that and listened to it last month and really enjoyed it and the video is brilliant the animated video if you haven't seen it watch it they all go build a space rocket to go to another world like it says in the song and it's really well crafted there's lots of little jokes and nice bits in there and um i yeah there's so much humanity in what they do um i just can't wait to hear what's next really
0: i think it's worth, worth putting out that, that uh that video that singles a one-off it's not kind of leading the album so it might sound completely different to what they actually come out with so it'd be quite interesting to see how that um works out uh sam welch asked uh a couple of weeks ago we were nearly all discovering what music we've been sampling on spotify in the 2020 wrapped up other streaming services are available of course uh sam says my number, art- what, number one artist was in flames a band i'd never really listened to until you did the inflames hall of fame podcast uh, that was what me and steve did a few months back we picked clayman to enter this prestigious Methammer podcast hall of fame uh, so Sam uh, got on that and he ended up being his most listened to band. So he asks us, whose music did you discover or finally catch up on in 2020? Who came
2: out of left field for you in 2020 this year, Seltzer? Um, well, for me, it was because we, when he we did the 80s issue and I was so pleased to be doing the industrial piece because it's so much part of my DNA. And so I was really adamant that we had to, cover throbbing gristle because they're the people that invented the term industrial and also i really wanted to make a point that when industrial was first um when it was first coined it didn't have a beat it was ambient it was kind of weird ambient music um so i was kind of aware of throbbing gristle you know i I knew about them more than actually because they're not really not easy listening but i but for that feature like i really delved into them like i went back through all the throbbing gristle albums i read Fanny Tuti's book and also, uh, you know, I read also, I and mean, I was a bit more aware of ministry obviously, but, um, but you know, I read a lot of um, his book he did with John Reederhorn as well too. Uh, so I really did some proper prep for that piece. And I was one of the happiest pieces I was to write and to talk to a member of Throbbing Gristle. And she's so lovely as well, kind of cozy to me. So they were kind of in the background of, of my awareness for a long time, but I really kind of delved into it. And it's not, it's not an easy place to go in any way whatsoever when you hear what was kind of all behind it um again it's just one of those things where context makes it all kind of um it, it makes it all a bit more lucid for you when it's not instinctively lucid so that was a real deep dark dive that I went through I don't really get a chance to listen to a lot of other stuff that often because so much of my spare time is you know, listen to promos that come in because I'm a news editor but um that's the one I did really go really deeply into Nice.
0: That's an awesome choice. Uh, what about you, Al, Were there any artists you hadn't really listened to so much this year, whether new or older, that you, you got into?
1: I reckon you can guess mine. It's Spirit Box. Oh, I just got cool. really obsessed with them this year. They're sort of, I guess, coming from a sort of tech metal perspective, but they're more accessible than that. There's a little bit of metalcore, a little bit of just modern, the modern metal sound. Um, there's really something for everyone in there. And I just listened to and watched all their videos they've ever done on youtube and kind of had a look at their evolution as to what they're doing now and even starting out their videos are really kind of high quality and really awesome to watch so that was a nice little afternoon and then just listening to what they've done before on spotify over and over again and getting excited for next year when there's going to be some new music from them hopefully a debut album
0: yeah i think if we were going to pick a real breakout band for 2021 in terms of an album i think that, uh, that Spirit Box album might be the one. Very excited to see what happens with them. Um, there are quite a few bands that I got into this year that I hadn't listened to before. Some have been around the scene a little while, like Aranzi Pazuzu. Uh, Jonathan's been flying their flag for a long, long time, but this year I really went in on them and that album was fantastic. Same with Imperial Triumphant. I'd not heard of them before this year. Now I uh, just think they're fascinating. Um, I love the Sharp Tooth album. That was quite low down, uh, but still made my um, my top 20 albums list. It might have been in my top 10, actually, now that I think about it. All our individual lists are going to be online very soon, by the way, for you all to look at, but uh, I love the Sharp Tooth records. And uh, also Backwash as well, who we've talked about on the podcast a lot. And she's on the cover of the current issue of Metal Hammer. Uh, We talked to her as well. Um, And uh, that album I just thought was amazing. And I'd never heard of her whatsoever until Steve um, told me about her. So that's probably my favorite quote unquote discovery from this year. Uh, Elle, do you want to ask another question?
1: Sure. Matt Heeks asks, with all the unavoidable album pushbacks, did any cause you any problems in regards to features you're planning in specific issues? And who are your favourite artists to cover this year?
0: It is a good question. And yes, that is completely true. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, I only have, we only have so much kind of insight into this stuff. That's not just guesswork. But if you look at some of the albums we've been talking about, that we're going to expect to be a big deal next year. Um, We probably would have said the same thing for this year if there wasn't a pandemic. So, you know, when you kind of hope that there might be a maiden album to come for instance, or an events album or any of those big bands, you kind of think, you kind of start to plot when in the year that might come and you think about how would you, how you would cover those and how would you structure issues around them? Obviously that all totally went to shit this year, uh, even if it was only kind of ideas rather than firm plans, um i mean the festivals and stuff obviously getting cancelled and postponed made a massive difference because we planned so much coverage around those the kind of access we have to artists is often dictated around tours and festivals so that created a massive problem um so yeah it was very very challenging it's been a very challenging year for us comfortably my ch- most challenging year i've had at metal hammer and i've been here nearly 10 years now um but we're very pleased to still be rolling along i think we pulled together some kick-ass covers despite all that and uh we're very grateful for everyone's support to help make that possible um in terms of who we most enjoyed covering i think it's just the awesome young artists that we've made a big deal out of this year i'm so happy that we were able to kind of get some of them on the cover um seeing the likes of imperial triumphant i just mentioned backwash uh, oceans of slumber a williams Getting all those kind of young, interesting, innovative artists on the cover of Metal Hammer has been a joy this year. So I'm really glad we've been able to do that because it's quite hard to get younger cover younger artists on covers nowadays. Um, what about you, Salts? What were some of your favourite artists to cover this year?
2: Well, I was just like so glad that we were able to put Mister Fire in the um, in the magazine. Uh, it's just such an amazing story. And the first time I, I saw them, they just they, they just blew my mind. I was at Inferno Festival. I've seen a band that I'm going to. Remain nameless, that I do like, but they just completely phoned it in. I went down the venue downstairs, and it's just this, this it was this totally primitive thing, um, that you get with certain bands like Von or um Beherit, where it's just like, is this shit? And it's like, no, it's actually amazing, so you can really feel it like super primal. And so, I watched, so I saw those documentary. I watched that, and I was just like, oh my god, what they're doing is so from the heart, and and I discovered such an amazing story, um, behind them. And um, this, just really genuinely living it and breathing it on a spiritual level, on a political, you know, on a, you know, level of, you know, the band from Brazil, you know, growing up on the aftermath of, um, you know, some really terrible political times. And um, it was an amazing story. And just to get that band in the, in the magazine was really, was really uplifting for me. And so I thank you for the chance to, to do that.
0: Oh, well, it was a a brilliant choice. Yeah, that midnight uh, interview that's in the new issue is really interesting and well worth everybody's time. Uh, What about you, Al? What have you really enjoyed covering in Hammer this year?
1: Well, everything kind of went mad with features because uh, everything went mad, obviously. (laughs) Lots of things were put back and moved around. So we worked a lot more um, in a kind of agile way doing things as they evolved. And uh, one of the issues I enjoyed doing was the lockdown. Mm -hmm. Issue only because there were some bands doing some really interesting, innovative stuff. We spoke to people like The um, Who, who were doing cooking on their YouTube uh, when they were stranded in Australia, um, wadruna who did an amazing single and video. They put back their record, but they did something brilliant instead. We had Testament, as I mentioned, Alex Skolnick had gone to the protests and had photographed people and done some fantastic images. Uh, One of my favorites, you guys will know what's coming, is Bron Daler from Mastodon started drawing a clown a day over lockdown to keep him going. And we did a piece about all his different clowns and they all represented all these different moods and his imagination was just really vivid. He was able to come up with all this stuff, but actually all the clowns were kind of his emotional processing and working through a lot of the emotions that had come up during this isolation period we talked to Love Bites uh, who'd been making models of tiny food we spoke to Alien Weaponry who'd been been prepping their new record spoke to Sabaton who were planning a tour around Sweden because they could get around restrictions that way and it was a hyper-local tour where some of the stops were about an hour or half an hour apart as Jonathan mentioned earlier there was a European Metal Festival Alliance and we had a chat to them about bringing all these European festivals together as one in this big communal celebration and uh, yeah, other bands, Doro, she did a drive through gig, Thonic, the Taiwanese metalers, the singer Freddie Lim had launched a podcast called Metalhead Politics. And in a bit of a dip and a lull, personally, I just enjoyed talking to bands who were doing things slightly outside the box and thinking slightly differently to try and get around some of the restrictions of 2020. And then beyond that, some of the cover features we did, uh, Deftones and White Pony, Um, there's a ton of stuff actually too many things to mention I think in a year where everything was thrown upside down bands still managed to do some pretty awesome things so it's really good to kind of celebrate that stuff I think
0: hard, hard agree Uh, yeah it's been awesome all things considered to keep on making all that stuff happen Uh, Scottsy Temple has another. that that was a bit of positivity Scottsy Temple is bringing more positivity what, he asks, uh, what's the best thing to happen to you in 2020? I think he's talking personally, of course. He says, For me, I got back in touch with an old friend. That's nice. What so was did your... I, what? Sorry,
1: so did I. Oh, nice, yeah,
0: that's good to know. Uh, is that your full answer? Well, it's a good one.
1: Uh, I guess it's part of an answer. I also got back in touch with an old friend. Shout out, Tim. Uh, We hadn't spoken for a little while. We'd been in touch on and off. um, But yeah, we kind of reconnected, had some long old conversations over Zoom. And now we've got a little film club going on WhatsApp where he's brought in some other people. And we've got a little like COVID new friendship group going, which is quite nice to meet new people at a time when you can only stay in your house. I also, before lockdown, went to Norway twice, which was really cool because it was my first time. I went once for the music industry conference slash festival Bilam, and I went another time to interview Isan about his EP earlier this year and went to his hometown and sort of discussed the roots of his music and where it all comes from and the history of black metal, which was really awesome. And seeing some of that landscape was pretty cool, even though there were just flying visits. And I really want to go back to Norway now. I have to go in twice in like two months. It's just a place where there's lots of cool things to explore. And then I guess personally, I practice Tai Chi every day. And I feel a lot more like I understand more about the practice of it now because I wasn't really practicing every day before so I'm quite immersed in it and I was speaking to you Merlin the other day about how I've been meeting some friends every week to have a bit of a practice and it was raining the other day so we went underneath a railway arch in London and I put on the Jonathan Holton record really loudly in the railway arch and we just did some Tai Chi and that was quite fun.
0: I love how delightfully dystopian that is as well. <laughs> it's just such a sign of the times. I love the best that.
1: thing was when we were doing a movement called uh, Pushing the Mountain and Jonathan Holson was singing about a mountain. And I was like, everything is coming together as the rain poured down through the railway arch.
0: Oh, that was a nice gothic lyric. I like that. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: cool. Elle sometimes actually, we're all obviously on, uh, uh, you know, a camera here and stuff chatting to each other. And you can actually actually catch L sometimes doing like certain stretches, just to kind of keep nimble while we chat. And I'm just sometimes like, what the hell is that one called? <laughs> it always looks interested. There's one now. It looks like you're wearing a cape as well, because you've got your hoodie over your back. You look very yeah. mythical.
1: Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm has been a little stretch there to uh, keep going.
0: Amazing. Um, yeah, no, there have been some good things this year for me. Just, you know, just kind of, I think, honestly, anyone that's, that's making it through this mess is, is a hero and deserves a pat on the back. Um, so fair play to everyone for, for making it through this whole of a year. Uh, I mean, for me personally, I met my girlfriend this year and that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic, weirdly, um, because I was reduced to internet dating and that's how we met. So that's that kind of literally wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. So that's uh, a massive, massive silver lining for me. Um, and yeah, there's been other good stuff as well. I've got to say, I know it sounds like the kind of thing we should say, but just so much great music this year has been a massive help because, against all odds, that's been a huge, huge positive this year. Uh, and long may that continue. What about you, Jonathan?
2: Well, I uh, just want to say, clarify something first of all. Um, just just might mispronounced it, but um, we're talking about Mystify, not Midnight, with the um, the feature that I was really chuffed with doing. But um, I think, like, my pre pre-pand- like, pandemic, the best thing that happened to me was my big birthday
1: your big birthday
2: yeah but of course in January like and it's before the pandemic it makes me aware about like, how grateful I am and how mindful I am of people who weren't able to do the same thing but it was a really big birthday um, and I got to do one in London with just all my friends just uh, Alex been Alex might been a master of DJ got some friends in bands to play and yeah, uh, talking about Norway, did another one in Bergen and also got friends and bands to play. And, um, you know, doing that in my second home, which is Bergen, is always amazing. And I've got super withdrawal symptoms. Um, so that, that was just, just just incredible, just humbling and incredibly fun experience. Um, my pandemic experience, uh, best thing that happened in the pandemic, I guess, again, was the European Metal Festival Alliance weekend. Um, a few friends you know everyone kind of got our tests to make sure they didn't have covid but it was a really hot summer it was a really hot weekend so it was actually me our previous um our former um online editor alice patillo and a few other very close friends we went up to uh, spend the weekend in a garden um drinking mead in guildford with a rake with a very good friend who was an amazing host created our own little festival called Fantoff festival where they made up where uh, our, our host mary she made a um old fantoff church that was really well done. You know, watched bits and bits of the Alliance, drunk shit tons of mead, sat in a paddling pool, blazing sun. Uh, it was just Sometimes you just need an incredible weekend that is just um, an incredible event. The, what, the thing I missed at festivals, where it makes the entire world, it makes the entire year evolve around that. We got to do that. Um, and yeah, so shout out to Joe, Mary Alice and um, yeah, all the wonderful people that I got to do, do that with.
1: I have a question. Did you burn the church?
2: No, it, it had incense. So she, she made the the box, but the, the the um the roof was um lollipop sticks, ah. and um but it, there was incense burning on it. There was incense, so it was smouldering. But in it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. you it it didn't burn the church. It was, it was too good a good church.
0: God, I'm just thinking about your birthday, Sal. So that just seems like a lifetime ago. Just, I can't believe that was no. so weird. Very, very strange. Um, ask this next question for us, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, so Rich Hobson, uh, I guess it's our Rich Hobson. It is. Uh, Hi, Rich. Rich Hi, Rich. Hello, Rich. Um, he asks, which band or record surprised you this year? Um, go on now.
1: For me, we talked about them in this podcast, but Aranci Pazuzu and Imperial Triumphant, they're probably not bands I'd usually gravitate towards immediately, but thanks to the high recommendations of you, Jonathan Seltzer, uh, I really enjoyed both of those records. And it was re- I'm really glad that I sat down and listened to them and that I've been able to revisit them and go back to them. And it's nice to be introduced to stuff in that way. Whereas, you know, if I'd heard a song cold or something, I might have thought, oh, I don't really know if this is for me, but um spending more time with them and knowing more about them um i just really enjoyed both
0: nice um yeah in terms of surprise nothing that kind of completely blew my brain away in terms of a surprise but just in terms of sheer quality and like both of these are basically bands that i just didn't think i'd be raving about so much this year one of which was a, was cavell attack uh, the debut cavell attack album is one of my favorite records of all time I've not been fussed about the two since then. I thought the second one was just the same, but not anywhere near as good. And the third one, I was not really feeling the kind of plodding status quoisms they brought in. Um, But Split, I think, is a phenomenal record. And I think on balance, it's probably the best album they've ever done. Uh, It's hard to say that because the first one, the impact of it was such a big thing of what made it so good. But the way they managed to evolve their sound and still kind of keep some of those rockier elements but utilize them in a more effective way was just awesome. Um, and it's actually tied into the last trip I got to do for Metal Hammer this year, just before everything went to Poo, uh, when I went to Norway to see them, and they were fucking great live as well. So I was really happy to see them back kind of at the very top of my favorites this year, um, or nearly anyway. Uh, and also just the Biffy album, because I've, I've always liked Biffy Clyro um i loved puzzles i loved only revolutions i didn't really engage with some of the other stuff they've been since then Um they brought out a double album and i was just like i'm not into biffy enough to engage in a double album so it didn't really bother me um but um uh yeah for some reason i uh, so many people were raving about this new one that i just thought right i'm going to listen to it and like i said earlier it just i just needed an album like that at the moment it came in and it i've listened to it so much and every time i listen to it it fills me with this sense of hope and positive emotion and it's just it's really what i needed and i just think it's a fucking phenomenal album so that surprised me in the sense of if you told me a year ago i'd be sat on the mountain podcast talking about how good a biffy car album was i'd probably say you're being silly Um, just
1: be a pedant it's puzzle not puzzles sorry
0: oh sorry puzzle yeah (laughs) um yeah, it's that, that I I love that album as well, but this is my favorite record they've ever done for sure. Um Jonathan, what surprised you most nice this year?
2: Uh well, Napalm for all the reasons we discussed, Napalm Death. Um the other, the other ones that I wasn't expecting, Tickets of the Moon, their album Black House cuz they just lost all the Black hair elements mel- and made a goth record. In the you know, in the same way that, you know, Tribulation used to be an old school death metal band and then they went kind of just went down the pure goth route. And they did it really, really well. Um, The other one that just surprised me, just not because they did anything massively different. It's just I hadn't quite expected how far out they were going to go. There's an Italian band called Nibiru who I'm obsessed with, and their last album was just like so far out into the ether, even by their standards. And um, it's 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 like you know it's lovely once you're in, but it's um it's like so I I mentioned this in the uh, metal weird when i must win with uh piece but um the first five minutes what if you can get through that and it's just it's just like every synapse is on fire and you're in a centrifuge um it's um i know it's it's the most far out record and even i was shocked knowing what nibiru were like by how far out they went and it's really thrilling incredible record yeah
0: that was nibiru that was uh, Hmm? that was nibiru by the way n-i-b-i-r-u you went a bit blotchy there again but yeah that was a, a very far out album that you've uh, been big on this year for sure final question of the yeah. year of the year from tom farrow he asks were there any albums that just missed the deadline for the list as in the uh, top 50 albums of the year list and if they had been been released earlier in the year would uh, they would have made it for example the palm reader album Um, and I just echo him there. The Palm Reader album is fucking phenomenal. We've talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks back. It is so, so good, and it would have definitely flown up my albums of the year list if it had got in. I can't remember if I actually made it in or not in the end, but it would definitely have been higher up if it had come a bit earlier in the year. Um, I also thought of the Killer Be Killed album because uh, that's just an absolutely kick-ass modern heavy metal record, and I suspect a lot of people would have voted for that if it had been eligible um and maybe the AC/DC album i don't know if it would have quite made my list but i feel like a lot of people might have voted for it and then it might have got a look in the overall top 50 uh were there any kind of latecomers to for you guys
1: yeah i mean i can't speak for everyone in our critics poll i'm not sure exactly what their tastes are but for me the one that would have made my list is pussifer existential reckoning because i'd heard it just before i did my list but i that was it i just heard it And it was like, I didn't really know what to make of it. And I didn't feel like I could really have an opinion on it because I hadn't really delved into it. And then I kind of went a little bit further into it um, before doing the feature in the current issue. And yeah, it's called Existential Reckoning. There's a ton of stuff on there about, um, you know, who we are and what we're doing. And there's some really beautiful moments on there. Karina around, I've joked before, at gigs, she's my spirit animal because, Um, She sort of embodies the music and the way she dances. And her contributions on this record are very instinctive um, and very well placed. Um, They're sort of on there and you process them, but um, they're not kind of in your face. They just kind of add to the emotion. And there's some really beautiful moments between her and Maynard and some beautiful harmonies. And I think watching their live stream, live from Arcusanti, that was released on the same day as the album was released and it ran through all the tracks and it sort of crystallized them a bit more and especially songs like a singularity that's something that i've been listening to a lot where again it's just got this beautiful harmonies in it and some really beautiful kind of moments so um that one to me has really grown um in how i feel about it i think since it first landed in my inbox
0: great shout uh any for you jonathan that kind of would have made the list if they would turned off a bit earlier
2: yeah um uh, well i think that's there's, there's some that would have done got higher if they if they come out earlier like they, i don't think enough people heard them like the solstice might have done a bit better though it did pretty well but i think not not everyone got to hear it uh for me there's a lot there's a lot of really good black metal that came out after the cut point um imha Tarakat, which um i've, I think I've talked about before in the podcast uh, probably my, my, my favorite straightforward black metal record of, of 20, uh, twenty Um just absolutely raging. It's got like you said, it's really rocking. It's got a little bit of post-punk groove to it, just got all the fire that I kind of miss from a lot of black metal records these days. Um there's another great black metal record, Atlas. Um it's got a, it's kind of very nightmarish, got a kind of put us nord kind of feel to it. Um, that was pretty really great. And um, I think also if um, Dark Bitter Rising, who was like the, almost like the sister band to uh, Aranzi Pazooza, if that had come out any earlier, that might have done quite well. But yeah, In Heart Tower Cap was just incredible. I mean, it actually did come out earlier in the year, but just really underground, and it's been put out properly by Prophecy in December. Uh, December 12th, I think it comes out, so it's just out.
0: Yeah, that Imran uh album um, is really good. Uh, we're going to do a big piece on it in Metal Hammer um, in an issue or two's time. So look out for that. Uh, that is just about it on this, the quite literally biggest podcast of the year. We've gone over two hours, I think. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you everyone so much for listening to us. We'll be back at some point in 2021. Uh, consider this a kind of season finale, I guess. Uh, we'll see you all then for sure. Um, and don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer. It's our huge end of year review. If you've enjoyed listening to this, to this podcast, it's basically an even bigger, more deluxe version of this. It's out in shops right now. Go to tinyurl.com slash gethammer to find out, uh, no, to buy it directly online, sorry. Uh, or if you want to know where your nearest shop is stocking it, go to tinyurl.com slash findhammer. Uh, it comes with the activity book, the calendar, the CD, all these exclusive interviews, top 50 albums of the year. It's all good stuff. Uh, And uh, just thank you generally so much for all your amazing support this year. It has been a dick of a year on most fronts. But the fact that we've been able to still keep going, still create the magazine, still do this podcast and uh, still bring you all this great stuff with the best bands in the world really means a lot to us and we literally wouldn't be able to do it without your amazing support. So thanks so much for sticking with us through the year. We've got big, big things planned for twenty twenty one. We're very, very excited about it. And we will see you all there very, very soon. Uh any final thoughts to add, ed or Jonathan, on that?
1: No, just have a lovely break. Hopefully, I mean everybody's kind of all over the place this year, but I'm hoping that everybody gets a chance to like take a bit of time out and maybe even relax. Bit hard to do, but you never know.
2: You never know. Any thoughts Jonathan? Yeah. yeah, just a generally humbling thank you to everyone who's bought the magazines, the podcast like you know we never ever take anything for granted it's, um and um it it means it means the world and um uh you know and um yeah, we'll see you on the other side for hopefully a brighter twenty twenty one
1: exactly
2: hopefully. A gig, hopefully yes there will be gigs next year we're going to
0: get there there is light at the end of the tunnel and we will see you all at that light at some point cheers again everybody uh have a wonderful christmas if you can and however you are choosing to celebrate it please please continue to be safe over the festive period and we will see you all in 2021 merry christmas everyone and we'll see you next year goodbye
1: see you